Actual song. Yeah. Really? You've never heard that song? No. Billy Joe's. Uh, what is it? The Ita- Italian restaurant. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put it in. So this is the song that every. This is the phrase that everyone Scene, gets to hear. Scenes do. from my Italian restaurant. Bottle of red. I could go back to to my Brooklyn Joe raps, but people didn't like that because I said bitch a lot, but I never said the N word. Let it be known. Nope. I never said the gamer word. Who do you think is better, Billy Joel or Bruce Springsteen? I don't have like a wild affinity for either, but I also don't dislike either. And both have a lot of good popular songs. I feel like Bruce Springsteen Bruce Springsteen has more uh, mass appeal. Yeah, but I feel like if I had to choose... If I had to choose one of them, I would probably... I probably have heard more Billy Joel songs than I like. And Bruce Springsteen, the song that I really like... What? I think that I like more Thunder songs Road. By, by Billy Joel. Th- Thunder Road, Born in the USA are probably the two that I would say that I like Springsteen but if I if 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 I had to line up how many songs I like of both of them I fro- I probably like more Billy Joel. And he's from Long Island or something? I don't know, right? I think so. He always says Long Island thing. I didn't know MF Doom was from Long Island. Did you know that? I didn't. RIP. That would make sense. I saw MF Doom live once. Oh, really? At a show with MC Chris. Yeah. Was it the real MF Doom? No, it was the uh imposter, the fake one. Do you know he did that though, right? I mean, I'm not saying that, that that probably was a real one at your show, but, but I, he... I saw M M R Doom, Mister Doom, and he was um, shooting rockets at me. Bottle of red, bottle of white. Welcome uh, to my Italian podcast tonight. This is the continuation of the game of the year, and man, there sure is a lot of sure is a lot of games this year. I call them garbage. I says sure is a lot of garbage this year. Sure is a lot of filth to take out. All right. That's why that's why we're changing this from WTDG. What's the deal with games podcast to what's the deal with garbage, <laughs> and we're the garbage men. All right. So what are we taking out today? So we're up to August. Yeah. Keep it keeping going with the theme of garbage. Is Fall Guys? Fall Guys was fine. I've never. No. I mean, like, I don't. I don't dislike it. I feel like I would like it if I bought it. Yeah. Fall Guys is totally fine. So Fall Guys came out August the fourth. You and played this. Man, and, and people cared about it until maybe August the 7th. Ah, that's not fair. I still see it kind of high up on... Yeah, the issue with Fall Guys, I think, is just that <clears throat> for as simplistic as it was, it really didn't have a lot of content. And it's crazy that they didn't just have, like, user-generated levels that... Because, like, there should be hundreds of levels. And, like, it's so simple. Look, like... And, and like, the idea is, like, there's, like, an infinite number of ideas that you could pull together to make that. Well, that tell me like, what the game is, James. Everyone knows what Fall Guys is. That's not true. Uh, but Fall Guys is a platformer battle royale game uh, where you're going through a series of challenges. How many people drop uh, at once? A hundred, I okay. think. It's a hundred, but then as you, you do a series of stages, and then, like, by the second stage... Maybe the group is down to like 70 and then it keeps whittling down until maybe there's only like 10 people left in the final stage. And then it's like, you know, platforming challenges and you're platforming to try to uh, get the crown at the end and get a win. And there's some meta progression systems. There's battle pass and you're essentially like uh, drawing up your little you're, you're sort of like assembling your little dude, your little um, avatar as you as you get new goods. Yeah. So you get some little cosmetics from from doing well. Yeah, and I and I think that you know there there was a, 
a sort of this was a game that I, I felt like was in, in like the realm of Among Us of like it was the these like super social games that a lot of people were playing on Twitch and I, I don't actually one one issue that I had with this game is Fall Guys seems like the perfect game to play with your friends but when you're in the actual game and you like you know you join up with your friends you're not working cooperatively it's like and that's fine but it's actually really hard to keep track of your friends in a level because there's no like unless you know what their outfit looks like it, it's just you don't really there's no way to keep tabs on them so that you could like try to laugh mess at, them up or yeah try or to like help laugh at them, them or falling them. or something yeah so there's i don't know so it seems like one of those games that was supposed to be like built to be like a social party game but then it, it just kind of didn't have the features necessary to make that happen they've been updating this though right yeah, they've been updating it. I th- they've been updating it with, uh, you know, paid battle passes and free map content. So uh, same as these other games as a service. Also, Fall Guys would have been killing it if they just made the game free. Like, it came out and cost money. Uh, and I'm sure they did fine. Like, they definitely got a lot of sales. But I, I feel like it would have fizzled a little bit less if they if they just, I don't know. Gave, gave some more thought as to what they were putting out and what people wanted out of it. It's weird because when I when I saw this, uh, I think that generally the immediate thought was that this game was going to be so huge from now on. It was going to be one of the mainstays of Twitch content because it just seemed like that. It just seemed like it had, with like the goofy physics and the characters, it seemed like it would just be this constant, like similar thing to Among Us. Where yeah, pe- I love the look of this game. It would just be so popular from now on, and that, that it would be a common thing for like variety streamers to always be playing. And it has this kind of like monk, super monkey ball aesthetic to it that I dig. It reminds me more of um, gang beasts. Gang beasts, yeah. Like you beat people unconscious, and like it's a hilarious, like um, goofy physics, and you can pick people up and throw them out of the ring, and it kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I don't know, it kind of fizzled and I think that our, uh, conversation about it has fizzled too. <laughs> maybe, maybe next year, maybe 2021. This wasn't this the one that now. AOC played. AOC played Among Us, right? She played Among Us. Yes. All right. So August the 11th, a, 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 a game that will, that hasn't even seen its time yet. I feel like a game that is just, you know, getting ready to be even more popular. Cause I don't think, did it release August 11th or was it? Early access. It released. No, it released. It, it 1.0'd on August 11th, okay. and that's uh, Risk of Rain 2, which has a bunch of content coming out. Uh, they're planning a major expansion, um, which is going to have new new uh, characters, new bosses, new items. So there's going to be a free update in March and a big expansion in uh, Q4. Uh, so Risk of Rain 2, crazy sequel. So the original Risk of Rain was a student project and it was like a a 2d side-scrolling roguelite where the the sort of unique thing about it is you're dropped into these levels they're pretty big they're full of items so there's a lot of exploration that you could do by you know by roaming around and picking up items but uh there was a time limit where essentially like as the time increased the world would get more dangerous enemies would get harder new things would spawn. So there was this um, 
uh, risk reward of trying to get what you can out of the level, but not staying there too long so that you're, you're essentially trying to balance like how much time you spend in a level and how powerful you can get and just being very efficient. And Risk of Rain 2 took that idea and put it into a 3D space. Like that was the big change from Risk of Rain 1 to Risk of Rain 2 was now it's 3D. And the the aesthetics of the game are so cool. You're like, the game makes you feel like so small and you're, in, you're on like this massive planet and you start out and everything is so dangerous to you. You start with, I think, you start with, I think just one character and as you do challenges, you unlock new character. Like there are specific unlock uh, things that you do to get each character, and they're like totally different. So the character that you start with is a mercenary. He has like a gun, a shotgun. He has a sprint move, and he has like a bomb. But later you're doing missions to unlock characters like engineers who can put down turrets, a huntress who works with a bow, a mercenary who like teleports around and has a sword. There's an artificer who like is casting and combining magical spells together. And as you do challenges for these characters, you are unlocking new abilities for them. So one of the challenges for the artificer is like kill 15 enemies without ever touching the ground. Or one of the engineer challenges is kill a boss within one second of its. So there are all these things that are like, you look at the challenge and you're like, how could I possibly do that? And then you like learn more about the character's moveset and figure out like, oh, this character has these moves that allow them to stay in the air for longer or the amount of burst damage that I can get if I do this is really strong. So the game has a lot of meta progression and the items that you get make you feel like ridiculously powerful where by the end of your run, you're like a god and, and you're just like teleporting around like every time that you shoot, like swarms of lasers are coming out. You have an entourage of turrets and it, it just feels like a like a real power trip. And by the end of it, it feels like you've earned it. And, and it kind of reminds me of like when you start out in a game like Diablo or Path of Exile, where you're moving really slow, your attacks like you're killing like a couple guys at once, your attacks are like pretty like bad. But then like by the end of this run, you have like this crazy power trip and it reminds it's kind of like the power fantasy you would get in an ARPG, but distilled to like a singular run. Yeah, I played a little bit of this and it's it, it's very fun co-op. Uh, I, I, I think don't you have to kind of choose who gets what? And I, I feel like that kind of frustrates me in roguelikes a little bit um, when you're playing co-op and you don't have unique drops for both of the players because you're kind of having to dole out or... Uh, I remember when we had played this a little bit co-op and you had played more of it more of it and certainly were playing better than I was but uh there got to be a point in the run in one of the runs we did where you had a lot of the uh, like items and upgrades and we're getting really strong and I just felt really weak like I just really couldn't do very much and that kind of got frustrating but I I enjoyed the game uh and I I would go back to it on these updates for sure yeah and it has great music, um, great atmosphere. Yeah. I don't know if you, I, I I was listening intently, but I don't know if you uh, made how made clear how much like the the loop is really that you're having to choose the the time, how much time you spend in it. That like the yeah. the game keeps getting harder as you spend more time, and that yeah, you're and that you make that choice whether or not you like pop the boss. That's right. Yeah, yet. that is 
I definitely uh, touched on that. So thank you for listening intently. I was listening intently. Uh, but I think I, that might have been early on. And yeah. I forgot whether or not you mentioned that. Do you have anything uh, else to say in regards to Risk of Rain 2? Uh, it's a great game. Looks great. Uh, feels great. Uh, it's $25, I think. And uh, I think this is one of those games that like you could snag on a sale. But I-, I prefer it solo, personally. I think it's a great podcast game. I will say one issue that I have with it is that the runs are rather long. And there's no like saving between levels. Have you finished this? Oh, like, yeah. like, you, you, okay, so you've finished I mean, a, you've ended a run. I've, yeah, I've beaten it many times. Uh, okay. I haven't beaten it with every character. Like, my goal was to unlock every achievement in the game. Like, that was what, that's what I was playing for. Um, but one thing that kind of bummed me out is when I uh, got my new computer, I lost some save progress in games, and Risk of Rain is one of them. So I would have to start from square one and unlock everything again. I guess that's not that frustrating, though, if new if a lot of new content comes out. Yeah, so I'll, I'll wait for that. Ready to move on? Yeah, you got a Spirit Fair on this list, I see. August 18th, Spirit Fair came out, and I played a little bit of it. I played, I don't really remember, like seven, eight hours or something. I could play. But um, I, I, I thought it was a pretty good game, but it didn't end up grabbing my attention in the long run it was pretty mysterious and i kind of wanted to figure out more about it but i thought it was a little bland gameplay wise and a little frustrating like the the whole it's kind of weird because the whole point of the game was that you are a kind of like the ferryman um in in classic i guess like greek mythology like you are you are what karen karen yeah um so i think i think that's the first person you really talk to too is karen um, but uh, you you are the ferryman for souls that are caught between life and death, and you I you kind of I think you might know all the characters like you actually like knew them all in life, but they haven't moved on yet. And you like what you actually do gameplay wise is that you meet these new characters. They come aboard this ship that you have, and it's a it's a two D side scrolling kind of game. But it's kind of weird to explain because you're kind of on this like 3D-ish map, not but even though it doesn't look like it, but you're picking places almost Wind Waker style, like islands to uh, drive your boat to. And while you're driving, and while the boat is going, um, you like a lot. That's where a lot of the gameplay kind of like you're managing this kind of almost like hotel. Like it reminds me a lot spiritually of Spirited Away, of like the hotel area of Spirited Away with all these bizarre kind of ghost that won't move on and you're building like kitchens and farms for to to make food that the ghosts want to eat and making them more comfortable and building their specific rooms and building the furniture for them and doing side quests for them and then the goal with the goal of uh like raising their comfort and making them ready to move past this like um this this uh purgatory and uh, it's the, they, they kind of try to cultivate this sense of, of, I guess just being very calm and serene, um, not worry, being worried about the gameplay. You can't really die or anything. Even the parts of the game that are kind of boss battles are not meant to be like challenging or frustrating at all. It, you're kind of meant to, this is meant to be like a slow coffee game. You're, you're meant to wait, you know, five minutes for the boat to get to the island that you want to go to 
and that you're just fishing and jumping around and listening to the music and and just yeah. looking at the graphics like you're meant to just kind of like zone out and relax to this game in a lot of cases um and i feel like some people could find mm-hmm. that frustrating um like my myself almost included just just being a little impatient with things which it, it it's a it's a good skill to be patient with things but sometimes when you don't have a lot of time, free time, you you don't necessarily want to play something that's like, you know, like you're you're spending all this time going back yeah. and forth on this boat. Like you just kind of want to do something. So it sounds like this game kind of got you at the wrong time. Yeah, it did. Like I, I, I think about it and I kind of want to go back to it because there's so many good elements and so many unique aspects to this game. But I just wasn't always feeling like I could force myself into wanting to do something calm. Like sometimes I just want to shoot at shit yeah so Anyways. that's a, so it's a, it's an option and it's a, it's one of those kind of cheaper games you can i believe you can get it on um switch and it's on steam so yeah wasteland 3 Damn. is on this list so wasteland 3 is a crpg sort of in the realm of uh fallout tactics or some of the older fallout games and i played this briefly and then i ended up returning it and and i'll tell you why so I, I do like these games where you're building out a character and you have like these different stats and they're going to be good at different things. So maybe my character is good at like charisma and they can talk their way out of a situation or they're good at lock picking or hacking or something. But my issue with the way that Wasteland 3 worked is it's a party based game. So <clears throat> my different characters will have different levels of charisma and lock picking and all of this. To the point where at, at, at once my full party is assembled, I have all of my bases covered, right? And then at that point, what do any of those systems matter for? Like, yeah. what's the point of having like, oh, well, there's this like slow and silent approach or you can talk your way out of things when I just have the guy that does the talking. Instead of specializing and, and... it, you just have every option available at your disposal, whether or not you want Yeah, so I don't know, like... Maybe some people like it that way because they feel like then they get to do everything. But for me, and I know this sounds like a little bit like weird, but there are definitely people who feel exactly the same thing as me. But I want there to be the mystery of what I didn't. Yeah. Like, I I like to know that, like, I made a choice and there are things that I'm not going to see. Even if I don't plan on playing the game again, because I like the idea of, like, this is my story. This is the way that it happened for me. And somebody who built their character differently is going to have a different approach. So otherwise, aside from that, uh, it it sort of has the combat of XCOM. But I kind of just like XCOM more. I, I like the flexibility of the way that you build characters on XCOM. I like the, the combat a bit more. It feels like it has a bit more going on. Uh, so Wasteland 3 just kind of didn't do it for me. I, I could totally understand if someone said that Wasteland 3... Uh, was their favorite game of the year uh, this is this is somebody's like perfect game but for me this isn't what i wanted which makes me wonder this makes me wonder if there's a game that i forgot to include on this list i mean there's got to be uh, there's got to be some okay there is a game that we forgot to put on this list uh that i want to bring up now and and that is uh troubleshooter abandoned children which is another tactical game that came out this year oh. uh by a by a korean studio um and it is also like an SRPG, like a turn-based RPG. And for someone who, like, I don't really care so much 
about like um like the story in, in these types of games like i'm just there for uh building like a unique roster and putting together like synergies i actually think that troubleshooter um does this way better and and sort of the way that they've built out like their character like class system where like you have this unique party of characters they can spec into different classes uh there's like 600 different passives that you're like building together and you're like constructing and putting onto the characters to like synergize and i i just feel like troubleshooter was was sort of the game of this archetype that i preferred the that i preferred this year and it sort of has like this interesting um sort of like aesthetic and world to it that's like a, a bit more interesting to me than a uh, jrpg yeah. where it's like this sort of like superhero vigilante uh like almost like my hero academia sort of style of like you're building an agency of like of like heroes and then you're sending them out on missions and they are gaining like um like a reputation with different parts of the city and as you gain these you get like different perks when you're doing quests there and i just i just dug that way more it's very uh like niche it's it's a very unknown game uh and there are some parts of it that are definitely janky like it is so ambitious like it's an extremely ambitious game uh that i don't think i don't think they exactly had enough money to pull off what they really wanted to pull off some of the art looks pretty like old and, and some of it looks like the art over here is really good and the art over here is re is like really not good and the english in the game is understandable but not like definitely not perfect so it, it's a game that has issues but i also think that it's um it's it's trying something new and it's it's pretty unique i almost want to talk about final fantasy 7 i'll talk about ah. final fantasy 7 at the end of this because because we we passed by final fantasy 7 and i hadn't played it and then now i'm playing it it came out august 10th and we just mentioned it but since we mentioned it on that po on the podcast i have been playing it and i don't like it very much i feel like it's a big disappointment but maybe i'll say that for the end we've got right, plenty well, of games on this list yeah let's try to get through how about um, september 1st a, oh, a, amazing! An amazing game. a game that is uh, that is actually well, well, well known, uh, and that's Crusader Kings three. Um, so a lot of people are familiar. <laughs> well, I can't say a lot of people, but Paradox Interactive has a sort of cult following. They're the team that made Stellaris, Hearts of Iron, Europa Universalis. Crusader Kings is not like those other games because Stellaris is a it's like a grand strategy game. Yeah, it's a 4X. Ex it's a 4X. Yeah, it's a 4X. And to an extent, like, Crusader Kings is a strategy game, but more so than that, it is a, like, just a hardcore, like, RPG, where it, it's kind of interesting because it's an RPG where it is in a sandbox and you can fail. So essentially, it is a game where you start off and, and you can choose who you want to be to start off. But always what you're going to be doing is you're going to be governing, uh, not necessarily a kingdom. Sometimes you're, go you're governing just like a duchy. And you sort of are setting your own goals. Like maybe you want to um, participate in a crusade. Maybe you want to just create like an extremely strong bloodline where everyone just like gets these insane stats. But, most but like mostly what you're doing is you're just like making decisions and, and seeing how things will play out. There's combat in the game, but it's very, very small. It's essentially like, I'm going to take the troops and send them over here. More so what you're doing 
is is like there are things that are being presented to you like this person doesn't like you very much or there was an assassination attempt on your life and everything that happens is procedurally generated because as you're going about your life as a as a ruler so too are all of the ais and they're like interacting with one another there's like rng happening in what they're doing so certain areas will start to get invaded and taken over and if you played the game over again maybe that would play out differently um but as you're doing this you're also leveling up these like different lifestyles so you have like um diplomacy martial skills uh money skills intrigue skills and learning skills and they all play out differently so like learning is your um your bloodline's ability to find out and discover new things like new technologies because the game is played over i don't remember how many years but hundreds of years like you're not going to be playing the same character you're playing a dynasty so your uh king or queen will die and then uh somebody will inherit it and you will play as the person who inherits it then uh so you're unlocking new tech through learning your um you can make assassination attempts or uh, torture people through intrigue. Uh, treasury is just about like amassing fortune. Marshall is fighting. And then diplomacy is uh, becoming friends with people, creating alliances so that when you get attacked, they can like come to your aid. Um, and when I thought about like this game originally, I really just looked at it and thought like, there's no way this isn't boring. Like this game has to be boring. <laughs> Uh, but it's really not like the way that the systems work. It's so easy to, this is one of the few games where I will start to play it and I will not know what time it is when I'm done. Where just like every, like, it's always like, there's always something going on that's keeping your attention. Like there's always like you're, you're getting attacked from one angle and like trying to make friends on another angle. And then you've like captured somebody's daughter and you can like convert them to your to your kingdom or you can like seduce them or something and then marry them and then become like and then essentially like pull someone who is fighting you into being your ally. Uh, it, it's crazy. Like it's I'm surprised by how much I liked this game. Yeah, it's really one of those ad hoc kind of storytelling games. Like I forget if there's a better word for it, but stuff like emergent storytelling. Uh, yeah, like um what like there was what's the like, like Rimworld or something? Rimworld or? and uh Kingdom Death and stuff like that yeah. where you yeah. where you are it's less about the, the, like this it's really not about winning, it's about the systems mashing together and like making making your own choices but in the end being able to look back on it and kind of tell a, a bizarre weave a bizarre story out of what happened and how insane and the unlikelihood in which cer certain things happened you, you don't necessarily you're not playing it to win or to do better next time you're playing it just to see what hap what happens really yeah so cool game cool game uh, all right if you're ready to move on then uh th this was an interesting day uh uh september 3rd i remember two so two games came out we were uh to put it in a little perspective we were deep within the thrall of valorant at this time and everyone i mean well we haven't really fallen out of the thrall of valorant pretty much when i'm off or you know other 
people are f- friends are not that busy and we can get a, a big enough group together we're playing valorant but also um we've been all collectively playing aim lab and sharpening our aim skills and and i, I guess it was interesting because diabolical and Spellbreak came out, and this is—it was a weird time to have them both come out and be these kind of smaller games that are vying for some attention. That I, I don't think—I I feel like it was—it was a weird time for them both to come out because it's already hard enough to get eyes and to come out on the same day. And I think they both came out on Epic, right, James? Oh yeah, sorry, I was muted. Yeah, they both came out on Epic Game Store. Uh, I think Spellbreak has now. Spellbreak is now on, out Steam. on Steam um and uh the thing is these are both pretty damn cool games they are really cool games i and so I, I and again like i, I think yeah. that they kind of didn't get the attention that they deserve diabolical is a sort of uh it's an arena shooter which is uh a, a tragically dying genre of games like unreal tournament and I, I guess quake right like quake is definitely yeah quake is like the first i think uh so Diabotical is one of those. One of the challenges that this... Um, so Diabotical is free, which is really good. It also has extremely good uh, tutorials and training tools that really help you move because movement in arena shooters and the momentum is such a big part of it. But but they're so unwelcoming to new players yeah. just because of... Uh, there are people who have just been playing arena shooters. Uh, these arena shooters yeah. like forever, and then people come in and they just get smashed. And what has to someone has to revitalize this genre. I wish that it were diabolical because I actually really like this game. It, it came out with a ton of content, like a ton of maps, like stuff to unlock. It was I never disliked this game at all, but the community is already pretty small. Yeah. Which is a bummer because it's one of those like self-fulfilling prophecies where it's like, I don't want to play this game because, because the, community the community is small, is small. and you not playing the community makes the community small. And everybody collectively having this feeling of like, I would play if the community is bigger. If all of those people actually did it, then the community would be bigger, right? Yeah. I think it's, it is a similar thing to uh, how mo- most shooting video games are approachable especially when you play you know cod or anything else that a lot of those skills translate over and then there's the tack shooters right where, where it, it is way different like you have to break a lot of the old habits and it kind of surprises me it's only that riot was able to do it and put a lot of marketing weight behind it to and they i still feel like they need better um tutorials and onboarding to really kind of train people that all these things are different. Like, the bullets are not going where you're aiming. If you move, then everything screws up, and you're supposed to learn the difference between tapping and burst firing and have this hyper-precision and be concerned about where your mouse is. Like, everything about what what you're thinking about in attack shooter is way different than what you think about in, like, COD or Destiny or something like that. And And then it's the similar kind of thing where you would need to have a massive company really throw a lot of weight behind an arena shooter because it it also functions completely differently like it's a game where you're moving ridiculously fast and you're learning to to do the almost like it's not people i feel like people would most think of like Farah or something like that right if you haven't played these types of games where you're having to shoot rockets and there's travel time on a lot of the guns so you're having to learn to lead the shots where your enemies are going and all and all of that like combining 
um, a completely different style of shooting and le- like watching, knowing momentum and how you can shoot your targets does require a whole entire yeah. like mental change in a way that did is you play, very hard. Did you play any Diabolical? I, did, I actually never played any Diabolical. I wanted to, I, I was interested in it at the time and I, I am as a, I am overall more interested in shooters. That's why I mentioned Aim Lab because yeah. it's kind of fun to play another shooter and see how... Aim yeah, lab exactly. affects you. Also, it's so like I, I feel like I need a game in my repertoire always that is just I'm going in and I'm shooting things and that's it, right. And it's not something I get out of Apex Legends and it's not something I get out of Valorant. Yeah, both of those games have a lot of quiet moments or downtime. Um, Valorant, you die and it's over. Apex, same thing, you die and it's over. But also, you do spend a lot of time um, maybe not shooting people or looking for people on the map. Um, and yeah. and it, and it is. I, I do appreciate uh, a classic arena game where you're dying and respawning and sh- and like you're right back in the action. Yeah, and you know what's no crazy is, is I actually own this year's Call of Duty because it came with my graphics card, but I just haven't played it because I don't have Battle.net installed and it's so large in terms of the amount of space it takes up that I just haven't done it. Yeah, I remember it's huge. I was almost going to download it, but it was huge. Um, Spellbreak is... A, a also very interesting game and again it came out the same day that diabolical came out which i i really don't think that i know that they didn't plan this but when you're a smaller game and you already need a community you need as many initial eyes on you as possible and having kind of two smaller games that are that are multiplayer and really require a community come out at the same time i i, I have to imagine yeah. it, it did not help diabotical really needed a marketing push yeah Spellbreak at least had a marketing push where they had some streamers like i think they had like dr lupo like paid like sponsored to play the game it, it's also pretty unique and it's not really a shooter it's um it's more like a, I guess, like a third-person action battle royale where essentially you're playing as a wizard and you are casting and combining spells together um, to defeat your enemies in a battle royale. Yeah, there's a lot and that I really like about it. I really, I actually really like this style of aesthetic. It does kind of remind me of uh, Breath of the Wild. I, I, I don't even know what the. It's kind of a semi cell shaded. I don't even know if there's like a word for it, but it's like the more realistic ish game but with a lot of poppy colors and outlines um and i i really like the way it looks and i like that that there's all these different um magical gauntlets you're picking and they all kind of have a different ability and a different fire style of of firing yeah they have like a different flavor like there's like the um the ice mage that is like kind of like a, a sniper yeah there's like pyro, which is doing burst damage. There's like toxic, which is doing damage over time, and they work together. Where it's like you can make a wall of toxic and then shoot fire at it, and it'll explode. Yeah. So this this stuff was all it was pretty neat. I just if I'm gonna play a battle royale, I'm gonna play Apex. Like you know, I and and it's also like this is a game that I would play if my friends were playing. Yeah, I would play. I would absolutely play a lot of this game. If this game were to, like, if this game blew up, like, in, in an alternate reality where this game blows up and uh, takes over, I don't know, Fortnite, which is, like, what a ridiculous alternate reality I've just created, um, that I, I would play that game, actually. If a lot of people were playing and talking about it, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the way it looks. It seemed like there were pretty good, interesting um, uh, progression stuff to work for and meta stuff to work for. 
And they, yeah, and they could just release new schools of magic. I'd be surprised yeah. if they haven't already released one since the I, last. Play. The one thing I would say as a uh, as a a negative is that I I don't know like the the there, there's a lot of good aspects and it just felt like they're it it wasn't fleshed out and I could understand that you know it was it was launching and and there's they might want room to grow but there were certain things that didn't f- feel fleshed out with some of the um elemental combos or some of the drops you were i was getting and i think more than anything i i I felt like in some of the fights that i had uh that the overall way it plays is a little messy maybe if i had played more i would get a little bit better at that style of aiming because it's pretty weird like you end up getting to a point where everyone just leaping around really quickly and teleporting and some of the gauntlets uh, shots are kind of slow and it just felt like wonky just trying to line up where people would be a little bit more like random because people are moving really quickly and there's like travel time on some of the gauntlets yeah well maybe play diabotical it'll make you better i know right and then also i just had a generally bad experience with the community um i had played a i played one game with you and i think uh, our third immediately disconnected or died or something and it turned out that the game i think might have been one of those weird uh it's bots but they're not telling you and then when i played alone uh, i think every time i had played multiple times alone and every round i played without fail just everyone immediately split up or disconnected and i never saw teammates and eventually i had a, like a 1v3 against people and just died which just felt like shit like it didn't feel good so yeah i haven't played a lot of online games without my uh friends recently there's so many good single player games to play if i'm just gonna play games alone yeah it's it 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 is really just the the thing where everyone online sucks it's so hard it's so hard to even get one i I feel like there we've only had one or we, we most of the time we do play with five in valorant but i i think that only once or twice that we had randoms they were actually good but there was one that there was one random that we played with early on in valorant that we just he was fun to talk to and we actually friended him and played more games and i I do wish that more people were like that i do wish that more people um talked and were had some social skills and were calm and nice and not frustrated talk and have social skills they have friends of their own yeah so they're they're in games with their friends yeah um anyways let's move on so marvel avengers came out on the fourth that game is unremarkable and not even worth talking about uh but it is weird that it was like a that they were trying to do this sort of like what a um destiny or a you know what's crazy that they had marvel heroes omega which was the best marvel game that ever came out did you ever play this game it was a free to play it was it was a free to play uh action rpg no and they had like 40 characters and every character like they had like deep cuts like you could play as squirrel girl or you could play as wolverine everyone you could play as like dr strange uh there were so many characters and like they had multiple skill trees the game was so good and so interesting and they shut that down and this is what they replaced is marvel avengers yeah what a mess damn there's so many so, problems to this game, but... So whatever. I don't want to waste time talking about these boring games that everyone's heard of. I want to talk about uh, another game that came out on September 4th uh, called Paradise Killer. And I bet you haven't played I this. I have not. 
and I bet like you would really actually like this. Uh, and I, I encourage you right now to look up screenshots of this game. Uh, so this game reminds me a lot of a Suda 51 style game, like a, like a killer seven or something like that. Uh, but what the game is, is it is an open world detective game, kind of like a, almost a visual novel, but essentially what you're doing is you are being sent to find out who did this murder in this paradise. So there are these, um, essentially it's like, this is like an alternate world where there are these paradises that ultimately fail and then they create a new one, but they are supposed to be utopian, but someone was murdered in this utopia. So you are trying to find out how that is possible. And the game has like this very unique and bizarre aesthetic to it. It's extremely colorful, almost vaporwave, uh, amazing soundtrack, just like bizarre, like insane looking characters. Um, but it's actually, but it's like also gorgeous. Like the game visually, it looks terrific. Like the game in motion, like if you like check out videos or something, it, it's a pretty damn good looking game. And it's on the Switch, it's on PC. I would recommend playing it on PC because I own it on Switch and I, I just don't think that that's the right um, platform for this game. All have right. you seen this game? Have you heard of it? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I didn't know. I thought I I remember these this 2D element, but I didn't know that it was like 3D while you're walking around and looking. Yeah, at Yeah, the 2D is just like when you're uh, talking to characters, kind of like Persona style. It will, uh, you know, show the. Oh, oh yeah, but it does like this weird thing of like the car. The whole world is 3D, but when you walk up to characters, the characters that you're speaking with are 2D, which is. A bizarre choice, but yeah, this is very Suda Fifty One of just like the the general way that people are having dialogue and the character designs are just beyond. Yeah, right this down reality. to like the, the like the UI elements and the um like the sounds that it makes when you push buttons remind me a lot of um. I'm watching the first uh, fifteen minutes or so, and she's just walking around her house, and then there's this bizarre crouching multi legged man that's in her house, and he, and then she says, and her name is Lady Love Dies. And yeah. the character says, and she says, who are you to this bizarre multi-legged man? And he says, the first person you've spoken to in three million days. Can you taste it in the air? Like, like just everything non sequitur and uncomfortable. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty, pretty wild. It's uh, a mood uh, and it's a good game. So September 15th, Spelunky 2 for the PlayStation 4. The Windows launch was September 29th. I was expecting this game to hit me a little harder, but... I was expecting this game to hit you a little harder as well. I remember that you used to play a, a, a lot of Spelunky. But I think that so many games have come out. Uh, Spelunky was maybe the first, one of the first, like, roguelites to revitalize or, like, to, you know, make this uh, a popular again. Uh, make Rome like Green like, again, know, the like joke was like right there. Rum-based, but now there's so many roguelites that i know what you mean that it, that it just doesn't it, feel as good it also, certainly it certainly does feel to me like i i actually this this was i immediately knew that i wouldn't be interested in it when i looked at it because it just like you said it, it does feel like it's the grandfather of roguelikes but it, it feels like roguelikes took it and took that formula and ran with it by the way uh uh september 17th uh i'm i'm looking at that right now um but a lot of roguelikes took that formula and ran with it and have evolved 
in a way that has made the genre much more interesting. And Spelunky really does look like it could have come out the year or so after the original Spelunky. Like it's it's more of Spelunky rather than what it needs to be, rather than a a, a massive kind of overhaul. It just feels outdated to yeah, me. Just sure. to look at it, it feels outdated. And it certainly feels outdated because on September 17th, one of the probably, I would imagine if, I would feel more comfortable if I had to pick the, the game of the year for most humans. I feel like one of the most comfortable games of the year to pick is Hades because it just had a, a across the board praise. I don't even, I have never heard a negative thing about this game. I don't I think you could think, think of that Hades, I think Hades is a perfect game. Yeah. I don't I really. I think Hades is an easy 10 out of 10. I, it is definitely. I don't even think you could think of a negative. I, I don't know what a negative would be in this game. And and it this is exactly what I'm talking about. This it, Hades to come out only a couple days after Spelunky 2. Hades is in my mind the 2020 pinnacle of roguelike. It it, it is it, it is from all what all roguelikes will be judged from. I think beyond going on uh, off of off of that it, it is such an incredible game yeah what's the studio so, what's the super giant super giant uh, super giant developed uh, bastion and transistor pyre and and pyre which is a, a little gem that i feel like not a lot of people have played compared yeah, to those I, other ones it feels like hades i think that most people would agree the sentiment that hades is the uh culmination of everything that super giant has worked on I really like Bastion and some of the other games. I, I I didn't necessarily like Transistor that much, and I didn't actually really play Pyre. Um, and yeah, Pyre is where they where the sort of um, the collect like the you're having relationships with people, like you're developing like friendships, and I feel like uh, you know that sort of led to some of the systems that would end up in Hades. Yeah, but it feels like overall that that Hades is the culmination of. Some of the stuff they've done with action in Bastion and different weapons, the, the kind of weapons and action style and the fast pace of Bastion combined with the player choice and the sort of like wild... Like the character specs. Combinations, the character specs and stuff that you had in Transistor with more of the story element and writing that came in with Pyre. That this is the game that Supergiant was, as a studio, was meant to make all along. Um, you play as Zagreus, the son of Hades, trying to escape hell. Um, there, you, you, it is a, a roguelike. You pick a weapon to begin a run with, and you get an initial offering. And one of the main kind of things is that you're uh, building the character by finding offerings of gods, and every god has kind of a their own style of offering that they'll that they'll give you and each time you get an offering you'll get three choices um and even the offerings are kind of balanced between that like white uh yellow blue yellow yeah, they have different, like, epic, power levels. like power levels but it's stuff like like uh aphrodite gives you kind of charms and to be able to um control enemies and uh heal yourself i think and then weaken your attack we, weaken. like weaken their attacks um poseidon is like projectiles and dashing and poseidon is like knockback based like yeah, hitting yep. enemies into walls and things like that uh, artemis around. was like crits yep uh so there's an uh I, my favorite was like i can't think of who it was but of the doom 
Ares. Ares, Doom, like, War, and, and putting on uh, these different Doom combos where it would, uh, when you hit an enemy, it would tick down a timer, and then when the timer goes off, it would be a big burst of damage, and you could do all these upgrades that would make it so that the more you hit them, the longer Doom time, or the more damage the Doom would, when it goes off, or making, like, AoE. Every, it, there's so much immediately in this game. I think one of the things that makes it so strong is that you're always seeing new things like even 20 30 runs in they're they're throwing new voice lines too what like their voice lines like there's so much writing so much voice acting in this game everything is voice acted it's crazy it really is insane like the 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 game starts out from a very manageable that there's not that much craziness going on and then by a couple runs in like there's you're you're seeing certain like wild rooms that throw in a a huge wrench into your strategy or or give you something new to work with and you're upgrading the weapons and getting new weapons and the combos that you can find are insane and as you play longer you're getting better boons that do more it's 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 such a wild game yeah and i i actually find the ending of it so you the first time that you beat the game you're not getting like the true ending but after you finish the game 10 times, uh, you see an actual ending. And I actually feel like it's worth it to get to that ending uh, because the aesthetics and what happens at that moment are so good. And the song that played, that plays, like, it's the best video game song of the year, like, hands down. Yeah, uh, Super Giant does a killer job with that ending music. I don't know if you remember Bastion, but I always yeah. think of that of Bastion for how bastion has one of the most weirdly emotional even with even with its art style and it's kind of the minimalism of it and not doing you know a big cutscene or something i guess it's kind of a cutscene. it's like a on rails kind of segment but um just the the music and what's happening and everything combines for such a crazy touching and impactful moment and this studio is does a phenomenal job with that kind of stuff and one thing that actually blew me away is when you is how much extra content you get to after you beat the game uh, and I think that the craziest ones were the weapon variants yeah. uh, that you could get. So, for example, you had this shield weapon, and one of the variants on it was it let you throw out a version of the shield while also keeping the shields. And as you progress through the game, mm-hmm. you get, like, two variants fairly early on, but then every uh, weapon also has, like, a master variant where you are... Um, uh, what is it? Essentially, they take on the form of a human legend. So, what's the name of the Monkey King again? That was Wukong. So, Wukong. How could you forget Wukong? The so once you've played enough with the spear and done enough with the spear, for example, you unlock Wukong spear, and the move set is completely different. So, all of these weapons, like there's a completely unique bow, a completely unique spear, shield, sword. Like that is totally like different from the base weapon, and I found that to be really impressive. Yeah, one of the uh, things that kind of hits for me the most in this game is I I don't know how to explain this, but some games kind of do this where everything you're doing is kind of really well written into the game's code, and that when you're getting these upgrades, 
it feels like it, it i guess transistor is was is is the game that does this maybe the most where um you were slotting together all these abilities like one is like i'm gonna do deal damage in a line but then you can make it so that it's electrified and you can make it so that like you throw out water while like you're and you're doing all these things and the systems are kind of interacting in a really interesting way and i love the way that in hades you pick a weapon and it only it has these really basic fighting style of like strong attack and regular attack combo and uh dash attack and they're they're so bland from the the get-go but that immediately when you start getting um upgrades and boons that all of a sudden they they start taking on this completely different thing and that like all this math is crunching behind the scenes for making it so that like when you dash you apply a debuff and then explode like all this kind of stuff that is very wild you just get to the point where this like very simplified style of kit becomes more and more interesting and complex and i really really like that yeah and we have uh, another game to talk about that has that in uh november or october actually but uh a day after hades came out phasmophobia came out and it was a quiet release because phasmophobia uh, is a single developer but people started to just like i don't even know yeah what how. happened that... people just like started to find it and started to stream it and then people realized like this is a this is a pretty unique game and it's a vr game which we are still not getting a lot of right we still don't have a lot of good vr games yeah but phasmophobia i i feel like was this is maybe like the most unique and original horror game i've ever played and i think that it's effective in its procedural generation and its procedural events, and I feel like it helps keep the game scary. But what it is, is it is a online cooperative ghost hunting game where you and three other friends are going into a house with a bunch of ghost hunting equipment, and you're trying to use the ghost hunting equipment to determine what type of ghost it is. Uh, you have some optional objectives, and then you're trying to get out uh, without... Dying. Um, dying essentially because essentially to get evidence of what the ghost is you need to like stir the ghost up which you can do by just like yelling the the game has a voice recognition so you can like ask questions or say things like give me a sign or turn if you're here turn the lights off david miller david yeah, miller david miller and say that you fucked its mom uh that works uh, and, and I think that that's really cool. And also the ghosts will, um, and because of the way that like the the game like has this like voice thing to it, it's like kind of janky. Like people are not a hundred percent certain on how some things work. And sometimes it's like, is this not working because it's janky and buggy, or is this like a feature of the game? But there are like rumors that like, oh, if you scream or something like that, the ghost is more likely to target you, and, and things like that. One one issue I have with this game, though, is I feel like the way that the hunt ends can usually be pretty anticlimactic, where it's like, you find all of the evidence of what the ghost is, you get, like, the fingerprints, or the, you know, you get the spirit box figured out, but then you just walk out of the house and leave. Yeah, and, and it would be cool if there was some climax at the end of the hunts that sort of brought it together and uh, made it a little bit more exciting. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, but it is hard to think of. Like, I don't think that it would do well trying to do some sort of... 
maybe there it would be good to have like once you've figured it out there's a certain type of thing related to each ghost type and if you figure out oh it's an oni you can bring in a talisman and the talisman will help ward off the oni or kill the oni and like that is the ending i i know what you mean like it is kind of sad that you just kind of everyone just leaves quietly and then you basically end the game and then you get like a a basically like a, a thing that just says yeah you were right it was it was that yeah it would be cool if it like what you said like there was a talisman for the oni because it's like you have to collect the evidence and then if you're wrong it would kill like, you it would like enrage and kill everyone or something yeah. maybe that would be kind of a, a cool opposite of like you've made yeah. the like you're afraid to go back like you you really want to be right about that kind of thing because you're afraid to go back in because then it's just gonna like enrage and just like do spooky shit right away and then you'll just have to leave and you'll be wrong or you could go back in and feel like comfortable like we were really sure about this i i mean just to clarify i I think it really is really cool that you're basically trying to throw all this spaghetti at the wall to try and figure out is the ghost making the room colder is the ghost reacting to the voice will the ghost write down in a book to figure out like what three things does it do that proves that it's this type of ghost that's what you're basically doing and just trying to stay alive yeah it's really cool um, so you actually have VR, but you didn't play this game in VR. I think I would be too fr- afraid. I don't do, I don't, I'm kind of like, if wishy-washy on scary stuff, sometimes when I warm up to scary stuff that I can, like, I can watch, like, like I've seen plenty of uh, horror movies and some, like, I, I, there's a lot of horror movies that I, that I love, um, but I, I feel like VR would be maybe a little bit too much, maybe a little bit too uncomfortable is like, I don't know if that's what I necessarily want to do. And also I do, I I always just find VR a little bit of a pain in the ass, making sure that everything's working. Like once it's working, it's very cool, unique experience, but also having done it before, like it's a pain to get out everything out. And also my room is not that big. So it, it does like, I can't move around a lot and I get worried about hitting things. Yeah. I essentially know that I won't be able to get VR as long as I live in a uh, NYC apartment. It's just not going to work. So following Phasmophobia, a pretty popular game in September called Genshin. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. I wonder if, uh, because this was the first, I, I, I really like gotcha games. This is a, I guess like isn't, I don't know. I don't know if like is a word uh, associated with gotcha games. Um, but I I enjoy gotcha games, or I do I I am a a, a gotcha game addict. I think that's, that's maybe a little bit more fair. Um, and uh, this was the first one that really kind of had mainstream appeal, and mm. it is a massive money making game. Uh, and it really kind of deserves it. The company MiHoYo is generally well known to uh, have incredible support. They've been supporting uh, and making tons of content for this game, Honkai Impact Third, for years. It, they make some of the, the sharpest, most uh, beautiful-looking mobile games, and I would say that this is the most beautiful-looking mobile game. Um, it's a weird combination. I could not believe that it was what it really was before I really got a chance to play it. I played it in beta and was shocked that it's this Breath of the Wild gotcha um, that is you know heavily story-based, but it also is a sprawling open world where kind of Breath of the Wild style you're doing shrines out in the open world, you're doing little um activities or you know a bunch of enemies are standing around a chest and you beat them to to open the chest it's a it's certainly a weird combination of things but it got very popular at the time i think just before how good it looks and also because there's a pc client um 
But I've been playing actually a ton of this game recently. Uh, it really went from more of a thing where I'd play it a little bit every once in a while, but also play a tiny bit of it daily just to do some, to get rid of some daily things. Um, but recently I've been playing a, a ton of it because 1.2 came out and it was this, this giant mountain, uh, dragon spine mountain came out, uh, and they, this, the story that was attached to it, the chalk prince and the dragon is this whole like interesting quest line related to the mountain. And they introduced this new character, uh, Albedo, who is kind of, uh, a somewhat interesting character. They, they really do an amazing job with, uh, the voice act- acting and the localization. There's the, the community is very big. There's a lot of like ongoing jokes, and they that have gotten picked up by the the uh, translators. You know, like that that kind of thing where there's such yeah. a there's such a wild feedback between like the translators started to know what kind of jokes the community was liking and uh, have just done a phenomenal job. And the voice acting and the presentation is incredible. Um, but what really, so- yeah. So here's my question though: When are they going to add Joker to this game? It makes you wonder because he's come out for every other mobile game, right? Yeah, it's insane. And, and, and he's in uh, what is it? He's uh, not in Epic Seven Epic yet. I, that's what I want. What? Yeah, Epic Seven. He's not in Epic Seven yet. But uh, what? So it, it's a bummer in a lot of ways that this is a uh, this is a gotcha game because you fell off of it and you have every right to because the the they usually gotcha games have something in the beginning like a selector ticket or uh infinite rerolls or something like uh that that lets you get a good start and start out with a character that's interesting and the initial roster that released for this game was kind of a small roster and the characters that they give you for free are a little bit on the boring side to a lot of people like the characters that i ended up getting by paying money were much more fun and like amber is one of the first characters that you get and is just probably the most boring character in the entire roster of characters so i think it's really frustrating that the combat is is dull the less money you spend the more if you spend a lot of money then you can get a really fascinating character um that you can also like upgrade with the the dupes and everything so that's like the by far worst part of this game and i wish that they had remedied it my issue with it is is just that i I feel like the idea of going through the open world is uninteresting to me because i know that the best stuff that i can get and the most meaningful content that i can find is in chests that i pay money for so it's like why go and hunt down a chest that will have a, an item that is essentially like fodder that I'm going to grind down uh, when the stuff that I could buy, like that's where the good weapons are, right? In the chests. Not, re- not necessarily. A lot of the, the best weapons in the game actually are the ones that are the boss drops that you get later in the game that you craft. Uh, but there there are good, that is another thing that, I, I, I don't like that aspect that there is a weapon gotcha as well. I think if you're going to do a gotcha, then usually gotcha games do kind of one sort of gotcha. And like you either have a weapon gotcha and you get the characters, you, you unlock the characters for free, or you have a character gotcha and you find all the weapons. Like I definitely can understand that having the weapons uh, in a gotcha puts a bad taste in people's mouth. I think... One good thing about MiHoYo games and about Genshin Impact is that there's no PvP. Usually PvP 
is actually the grimiest thing that that a gotcha game can do because they can gate off content or make you feel like you're not performing well in PvP and that the answer to it is roll more on a recent banner that came out because you need to get this character or weapon game or like if it was like if there were PvP in in Genshin it would be like you'd have to roll more on these weapon gotchas and roll on the character gotchas because you don't know which ones are good and you have to roll a lot on the character gotchas to get all these dupes but since it's a entirely PvE game like and you can do everything with the starting cast you get there's there's no real like other than just what you, if you want a cool character or you like the way that they look there's no incentive to like paying tons of money because you're just making content easier for yourself in a, in a way that like you're not really earning um, and that all of that is still earnable within the game. And you, you do get good drops from the uh, later bosses. Most of your strength in as the character doesn't at all come from the weapon. It comes from the artifacts, like your gear set, and none of that is gotcha. That's all what you find from the bosses. But yeah. So the the new area is amazing. What their their updates have been incredible. And what really made me start playing kind of obsessively recently is how good a lot of the stories they're telling are. I, I really find some of their storytelling really fascinating. Uh, one of the your character is like thrown into this alternate world, um, and their your character is sort of like a god or something from your other world, and you're trying to find the seven main gods of this world that are kind of each god has their own city state and the people there like worship this god and the the stories that they tell with the gods are so fascinating because the gods are so human it's a i feel like in in the west our gods are are you know it's mono it's generally like monotheistic and the gods are unlike they they, the humans are made in the form of god but are you know simple and sinful and the god is something that doesn't really interact with humans only by like weird burning bushes but in the east they like in poly and especially in like polytheistic religions there's all these like gods that just kind of walk among there's multiple gods there's gods for every individual aspect there's a god of rain and there's a god of thunder and a god of earth and that they kind of walk among humans and that they also a lot of times have faults and the characters in in this game and the stories that they're telling, I think, are like actually phenomenal. And it, it, it is a generally high point of storytelling when they make you do something that's somewhat simple as like a quest of like, just, you know, kill 10 of these, go to a dungeon, uh, talk to this character and fetch this and bring it here. And that you're actually doing it because there's always a big story payoff and a, and a twist. And I'm not just like, mashing through story on this game like i absolutely love it and i i some of the more recent like character quests really just got me super impressed with how multifaceted a lot of the characters in this game are there's there's like they have these individual storylines where where you're doing a quest for a character and all of them are just so fascinating there's one that i i really love with it's like this captain of the guard in the first major city you go to and her story quest kind of revolves around the fact that um, everyone in the town kind of goes to her for their individual problems, and they think that their problems are so big because it's happening to them. So, like, this one girl's like, you got to find my cat. And you, as the character, are trying to give that character a day off and do these things, and you're, and like, you're increasingly frustrated with the people's, like, inane 
requests that they're like, yeah, it's a big deal. Like, I, I mean, I lost my cat. And you're trying to explain to them, like, but the, this character, this, this, like, knight has to deal with everyone all at once asking for, like, tax forms and finding their cat. And there's, like, you know, enemies on the, the road and how frustrating this is and how tiring it is. Just, they do so much cool stuff and the, the, the quests, I think, are really impressive. I've really been loving this game and, and the recent updates have been phenomenal. The new area they added is this massive, uh, uh, like, high vertical mountain uh, where you're getting cold and you're having to stand by fire to ward off the cold and there was just tons and tons of stuff to do. I haven't even, like, scratched the surface of that, uh, but they've done a generally ph- phenomenal job. Do you think this game would be better if it weren't a gotcha game? Do you think that the fact that it's a gotcha game actually adds anything to it? Yeah, absolutely not. Um, it is, it, it, it's It's only, it, it is really frustrating. The, the characters that they... The, 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 so the kind of the general play style of this game is that you have four characters and there's different elements in the game and they all kind of do something, especially when you're playing more, you actually are paying more attention to this. Like um, if you freeze an enemy and then you hit them with fire, then it's like a superconduct and it lowers down their armor and it's like a defense break. Yeah. And so so you're you, as a player, what you're doing is you're uh, creating a team of characters that have different positive elemental breaks for you um and different combos and you're trying to maybe you have uh you know support that can set up the first element and then you have a dps that can jump onto that and create a, a combo uh and the characters that like i said the characters that uh that they give you initially really make this game way too simple and there's not a lot going on the characters that you can get from the gotcha and the ones that they've been releasing more recently are really phenomenal and it's super fun like bouncing out between these characters and like the it's it's fun when you start playing more and you have a a real team and you're just jumping between characters and the characters are fun it it really does hurt new players to not spend i I never got a five-star character yeah Um, they do give you some roles like 10 12 hours of the game uh and i never got a five-star character it, the the I I've really thought it it is really like I've seen people, um, but I think there is one character that I got like maybe four or five. Barbara, characters. Barbara. Yeah, you got a ton of Barbara, who is like a healer, and that's great. It is she's like a she's but... a good character, but she's not flashy. You can't like if you were gonna get any character that you that, that could make you have a lot of fun. So the first character I got um, was this character Kaching. And Kaching is like everything I like about video games. She's like a super fast rogue style like character where she has all super low cooldowns. Her main ability is that she can throw out a ball of lightning and then she can teleport to it and all of her attacks become lightning. And her regular attack animation is like crazy. Like she jumps into the air, hits tons of times. She slides through enemies. She's like so flashy and fun to play. And she also gives you a lot of um, traversal options because you can actually aim where the teleport is if you hold it down. So one of the first characters I got was this character where I could just aim this uh, ball of lightning in the air and then like dash to a ball of lightning in the air. And it let me climb up mountains better and jump over gaps and do all this kind of stuff. And because of it, you know, traversing the world got more fun. I just loved this character and using this character and the combat was really fun. And if people don't get that character... If people don't get, you know, some of the more interesting characters in the game, 
then I don't think they're going to have that much fun. And that's that's on Miho. Like, that's unfortunate. That's, you think they, they should... and, and, and it's ridiculously expensive, right? It is. It is way... character that you want. Like, it costs so much money. And it makes me wonder if they could have done something like League of Legends, where they're charging you for a character, and then the characters have, like, skins that you're buying and using those. Like, there are games that get by on just having cosmetics. Like, But the thing is, though, they're making tons of money so why do it another way yeah right it's so their business and they're making a ton of money but that business model is why i'm not playing the game yeah i i mean that's not lost on me because that's what i brought up right away it's so frustrating to me that the fun of this game is the characters that i have now and this game is kind of slow on giving you the resources and i think that it every gotcha game really should have and they most of them actually do have this kind of selector ticket or something where you can start out and if you have something you or a or an infinite reroll kind of thing um, where you're getting to just reroll and reroll until you're happy with the results. Um, that that at the very least, if they did that, then you could have started off. You could have got Diluke or some character that's super fun that could kickstart the account and that you would be like, I could play. 40 hours with, you know, the way that I've been playing hundreds of hours. I've been playing this game since this came out every single day. And I've been playing, and I, I Kitching was the first character I got. And because of it, I, I just, I, I still play her to this day. I still, like, love her. She's yeah. always on my... The thing is, like, I enjoyed what I played of it. Like, I actually thought that there were, like, some pretty interesting and dynamic boss fights, even out in the main world. But when I got to the point of, like, wanting to explore content and see something... And it gets to the, and this is where I ended with Epic 7 as well, where it was before I spent money. It was thinking, how much money on this do I need to Yeah. And thinking about that, like that decision of like the best way to do this is to just spend a lot of money because that's where you get the best value. And, and like as soon as it gets there, it's like, is that something I can justify when I have these other games that are fulfilling like a similar need that I don't have to spend it on. And that's kind of where I fell off of this game and off of Epic seven. Yeah. I completely understand. It's it's, I think that all of this would be remedied if they just gave you one character. That's it. Like if they, if they just gave you the one character, then right. Like they give you the first ones free. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying is like, like just, if you could just reroll infinitely until you were happy with the result and you had a character that you could look online and say, like, this is a carry character. Like, you're gonna ha- don't worry, your 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 DPS slot is gonna be kind of filled for the next infinite hours, and you could be happy with that result. That you would feel like I don't need to spend money because I already have a good character, and spending money now is necessary is like super- superfluous. But just those initial starting characters, just they can do everything, and you can do all content without spending a dollar. That is clear, but you just won't have as much fun, and that's frustrating to me. That 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 there was no remedy to it. That that the initial rolls on the gotcha are like kind of slow. Like they're not really giving you that much. And there really should have been like a if they weren't going to do a selector or weren't going to do infinite rerolls, they should have had like a ridiculously high rate for the first couple of pulls where you're just really getting to get some stuff to play with that you would never need to like necessarily roll again if unless you just really wanted a character. It's so frustrating. It is really frustrating, and and to answer it, like it is, it is only hurt by it. And they're telling these, like I am, I have been playing this again, like nonstop. And the stories that they get to are some of my favorite RPG 
stories. I feel like it's I, I could talk about this game a little bit similar to the way that the that people talk about The Witcher, where they usually have like an initial setup for what the quest is, and then they break your expectations and do some really interesting things. And that since it is a gotcha game and it is very centered around these characters, that the characters are really some of the most interesting that I've seen in a while and are very multifaceted and aren't what they initially appear to be. And it's like, there's so much good to this game the the presentation wise and all the stuff that you can do and all the characters and all the quests are so phenomenal. And it really just hurts it that it's a gotcha game and that it it is, it is as stringent. It is as completely greedy with the rewards. I think we're uh, spent, we're going a little over on our game. Yeah, I was done. I was considering done. Considering many other games we have to cover. But, when did Star uh, Renegades come out? That was Star Renegades came out in uh, September. In September, but we don't have a date. Usually, we have a date. Star Renegades is a kind of neat looking um, RPG, pixely, like chunky it's pixel graphic. It's a roguelike. Yeah, roguelike. Uh, roguelite. I want to come back to it. There was actually a big. There was a major update that came out. A free major update. I kind of want to go back to it, but I am actually. I, I have. Think a, I returned it. Yeah, I returned it. I have a. Um, a roguelike that I am playing pretty obsessively right now, which we'll get okay. to later on. But but um, uh, this is there's some cool ideas. It, it was it should have been everything that I wanted. This game should have been everything that I wanted because it is a RPG roguelite and it uses the Shadow of Mordor style of uh, kind of there's a enemy hierarchy and how if an enemy kills you they they get more they get upgraded. And the game remembers certain things you're doing in, you know, like you like you kill an enemy a certain way and then it comes back with immunity to that kind of stuff. And uh, there, there should be a lot that I liked about this game. And in practice, it didn't really work out. I don't know if like I do want to give it another shot. For me, it was a little too slow. Um, yeah. Uh, but I thought that it was a really cool game. It, it just didn't fit what I wanted at the time. Uh, but it's cool. There's some cool they, stuff. They, the the character... Know, like the time works and like trying to do fights without getting hit by like when you hit an enemy you essentially like delay their action so you're trying to like take out enemies by like attacking them with the correct sequence uh to prevent them from doing any damage to you and i I thought that it was cool i think aesthetically also like it's it's got this like sort of a it's like a very it's like a very futuristic look to it it's kind of that like the 70s era of like a vapory kind of future where uh it's all these neons and shit and the characters are wearing mech bodysuits and have gigantic swords and stuff there's yeah there's a lot to um like on in the surface and and i think uh the thing that uh turned me off was that the initial combat is uh it, like you said it was pretty slow and the way that I would uh, modify that is that the combat you're doing with the the, the every kind of ed- the common enemy is pretty easy, and it takes a little bit too long for my liking each co- each like combat. And then when I got up to a boss, it just kind of like murdered me. And it was frustrating to play for a couple hours and do all these slow style rp the same kind of thing that that always screws rpgs right where where the regular at fodder are turn your brain off and then you get to a boss and it was like why it just aoe'd me and hit me and killed me like what do you what do you want me to do there's nothing that 
I don't even, I can't even think of how I would have done things differently if the boss just goes quick and then it AoEs and kills me, right? So it was a little frustrating. I think maybe like a lot of roguelikes, it would be more interesting over time and it's it's okay to fail uh, and yeah, uh, like the game more. Let's move on to October. October. One of the games of the year of this Allegedly. podcast. Allegedly. So Noita... Um, a game that I'm interacting with every single day, whether I'm playing it or watching streams. I, I fall asleep every night to a Noita stream. And uh, so what what year was it that Noita was the E3 game of the year? Was that 2017 or 2018? I don't remember, but you can find it on our podcast. You, uh, you, that was like the first thing you in the uh, description is that Noita is like the game the of the year. Noita or something yeah. was Noita the game of the year. Um yeah, so Noita is a roguelite that, you know, we discussed recently, so I don't have to get too into what it is. But essentially, like, the two main systems going on in Noita is that it has this procedurally generated world uh, that responds to... It's like one of those old-school falling sand games where everything that you do, uh, the world is kind of responding to, where, like, if you hit something with an explosion, like, the ground will crumble... Uh, you can create earthquakes that will destroy rocks and like hit enemies. There are there's like metal that will electrocute to electrocute attacks, or like there's it will melt if you throw concentrated mana on it, and that also means that like metallic enemies react the same way to these to these things. So enemy weakness is determined by. Uh, what type of materials they're made from. Wood will burn. You can evaporate entire lakes of water. Uh, you can turn entire lakes of lava into obsidian. You can create an ocean. Uh, so the whole system, like that's the world system, but then the other system going on is the magic system where you are building wands and the wands have uh, different characteristics on them, like how much mana they have, how much mana they regenerate, how many spell slots they have on them, uh, whether they shuffle or don't, their recharge times. And you're mixing the the spells together. There's hundreds of different spells uh, that you're mixing together to do all of these different things. Uh, and, and some things you'll you'll see it, and then you won't understand how it could possibly help you at all. And an example, let me give you a, a very quick example. There's an ability called Slime Mist, where you put it out and all it does is it creates an area like it creates like a fog of slime and then enemies who move through the fog of slime will be slowed but you can make it so that the homing slime that the slime uh has homing on it so then it will seek enemies down and then you could add damage to it and and since it's like a constant field uh it it just keeps doing that damage so if you add damage to something like a like a projectile, that damage only happens once. But when you add it to a persistent entity like the slime mist, it continues to happen. So you can essentially make like this this homing swarm of death that will like seek one enemy and then seek another enemy. And, and you could do this with all sorts of things. You could make like a water mist and then use another one to electrify it. Um, and then it just like tracks things down. And, and essentially like the game is just asking to be broken by like all of its insane combos. And at some point, like uh, this is also a game that is like full of secrets where it's like, if you stay along the main path, you could beat the game and not even realize that there's this whole massive open world 
that's outside of the base dungeon that you go into that you can start exploring. And there are all these secrets. And as you do these secrets, you're going to find new boss fights and you're going to find uh, new spells that will permanently unlock in your run. Uh, so as you go exploring, you'll essentially like get access to new things that you'll then find through your primary runs. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a very neat game that has quite a player base. Yeah, surprisingly, like a pretty large game. But you, you know what actually pissed me off this year is that Noita was nominated for most innovative gameplay uh, at the Steam Awards. No, not no. Most innovative gameplay for the Steam Awards uh, was given to Death Stranding. Wait, did, Death Stranding didn't come out this year. It came out last on year, PC. but it came out on PC this year, and it is not innovative. Well, it beat Noita. Yeah, I could find that frustrating. It also beats Superliminal, so I guess those are just not as innovative as uh, Death Stranding. Man, Superliminal, Noita, Superliminal might be the most innovative, not that it's a better game than Noita, but because Noita is just a dope-ass game that combines a lot of cool aspects like the procedurally generation and, and roguelike elements, but Superliminal is pretty insane. Like, that's all that it has is a unique gameplay yeah, so a less uh, unique and interesting roguelite that came out the day after is Crown Trick. It's pretty aesthetically pleasing, though. Uh, this is this game is more like a traditional rogue game than a lot of other roguelites are, in, in that this game is a sort of like turn-based, uh, grid-based game. I, I did think that, that one thing... So Crown Trick has a couple of things going for it. Uh, I think that it looks really good. It's aesthetically, like, awesome. There's a lot of uniqueness in the weapons. There's uh, like legendary drops where it's like you could uh, find a drop that will like totally alter your run and make it absolutely insane. Um, there's also this thing where as you kill bosses, you are getting access to like a familiar version of their boss where you can like use spells that their boss like had. And, and so I thought that was pretty cool. There's some very puzzly boss fights. Um, but again, it was a little too slow for me, and I've been, I've just been not not jazzed on on slow games this year, and Crown Trick was one of them. So it didn't really stick with me the way that some of the other roguelites did this year. I don't really remember that. Yeah, well, it was pretty niche. Ghost Runner came out October twenty seventh. I played a lot of this. I didn't end up uh, finishing it. I probably should. I, I like it. Um, Isn't it short? Like, I'm it is pretty short. It's one of those things where I just you know like. I don't really care where it goes. So I just played, I played like five hours of it and was just like, I just didn't come back. Other things took my attention and I wasn't necessarily uh, missing out on it. I don't, I don't usually, I, it, it should be made clear that I am not one of the, I am not someone who feels like I need to finish them. Like if I, if I'm, if I'm not wow, jazzed no about it, guilt. what? Wow. No gamer guilt. I, I mean, I try not to, I, I don't want to have gamer guilt. Like if I, I don't want to, I, I don't like that moment when I'm trying to think of what I want to play and there's something that I want to play, but it, it's not going to, but it, but it's like, well, I should really finish one more hour of this other thing that I don't want to do. Um, even when they're short, sometimes it's just like, I just, if I just don't want to play it, then I'm not going to, I'm yeah. not going to play it. Um, so to me, Ghost Runner looks like a 3D Hotline Miami, and I'm sure that it is there's exactly. more to it, but that's what it reminds me of when I look at it. It is like that. Uh, it, the, the gameplay is incredibly fun and fast. You are this cybernetic ninja that, that uh, uh, has just a katana, and uh, you get some kind of minor upgrades, but for the most part, what you're doing is you go in a room, and there's 
a bunch of enemies laid out and there's a lot of platforming stuff and you're trying to quickly traverse the room and kill all these enemies and if you ever get shot you die and it's that immediate respawn like you immediately respawn and can start the room over again so you're trying to keep doing it till you can get it per till you can do it perfectly and the game was really cool about having a lot of different ways that you could go through the rooms. Usually there's like multiple paths that you can kind of go. Um, you could prioritize certain enemies. There's uh, they, they always uh, add new elements to the game. Some, they get to the point where it's like there's shielded enemies and you have to take out the things that are giving them shield or enemies you have to kill first before you kill other enemies and do all this kind of stuff. And it's a really... It's a really interesting game. It's it's cheaper. I think it's like a 13, one of those like $13 games. And... Uh, the story is not all that interesting, but it's one of those really quick, violent, interesting games that'll that 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 is fun to zone out to and keep uh, trying to get that room perfect. It, it, it's a pretty good game. Cool. November is a big month this year. Ooh, that is a, that's November is a big month every year, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, jeez, but we got some heavy hitters in here. So new consoles came out, which is maybe the thing that we'll talk about at the very start here. The Xbox. Series X and the PlayStation 5. We didn't get these, so this doesn't really matter to us. Um, there yeah, were a PC. lot of issues with availability, though. Yeah, it's really uh, frustrating. We've talked about this before about how, uh, especially the PS5 was pretty garbage with availability, and there, it, it's sad that that a lot of kids didn't get this for Christmas when this is what they wanted, or parents couldn't get their kids this for Christmas too because of har- horrific scalping and that that that. It's easier, we were talking about how it's easier than ever to just make a bot and have it constantly refreshing and just buy the PS5 yeah. out from underneath kids and then just resell it at a higher rate. It's such a... Yeah. Hor- I, yeah. I had to use the bot this year to get my graphics card and then I I got my card and then I immediately got rid of everything. But it made me think like how easy it would have been like if I just used it again, bought another card, and then I could have made $300 from it. But it's like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's really slimy. I, I hate it. It's a garbage kind of economic principle. Obviously, like the, the it's under that supply and demand, but you're not adding anything new to it. Scalping is just like, it's so grimy. There really should be um, better, you know, captchas or whatever to stop people from buying or limit, like limiting it one to one per account and really trying to fight back against this because... This is this should be kind of infuriating to people. Like it, the, it was a hard year to to make the supply because of Corona. So I think that definitely was a major factor in not making enough consoles for everybody. And then just having people scalp on top of that and then drive up the double the prices but add no value to it is just grimy. Like should a parent have to spend you know a thousand dollars to buy something that's five hundred dollars for their kid for Christmas, but that's what they really want. And then otherwise they just let their, let their kid down with like the big major thing that the kid really, yeah. really want. That's upsetting. That's so, so for the card that I bought, um, the manufacturer actually just raised the price on these cards. So that doesn't like, what is th- that? That, they, that helps the scalpers out, right? Does it? Because I mean, there's, a, there is a limit on how much people are willing to pay for this, right? So let's say people are willing to pay a thousand dollars. The manufacturer is charging $700. So the scalper makes $300. If the manufacturer raises the price to $800, the scalper is only making $200. So at, at some point, it's not going to be 
it's not going to make sense for the scalpers to well the scalper bought it at the original price right i mean it yeah yeah if if they're buying it constantly and they're still trying to sell it for the same value i don't there's nothing the only thing that really truly hurts scalpers is increased supply because the second you drop a huge amount or people don't have like the anxiety that they won't be able to get this in time then scalping goes away if if they're if they were, if Sony were releasing tons of PS5s, then you really couldn't scalp it, and it would it would retroactively hurt scalpers that have uh, stock that have that have the yeah. that, that bought extra ones, and then now I'll suddenly can't. It's just that people can't go to stores, right? Yeah. So online shopping is creating a bigger scalping issue. So yeah, the the new consoles came out. Uh, if I would say the biggest thing that I see is that they are. They have good um, backwards compatibility and that they load much faster. So for people would who, you, would you get one? um, I I could eventually imagine myself getting a PS5 when like if there's if they have a uh if they have games on it that are exclusive. I use Is a the, uh, Bloodborne. Not enough. For if they you? if, there, if, if what well, else did you want? If I mean, what do you mean, Demon Souls? If they oh, if yeah, they Demon if they come out with a Bloodborne yeah. two that and it's only on PS5. Then yeah, yes, because Bloodborne's one of my favorite games of all time. I could imagine myself buying. If Persona Persona if, Six would probably. If Persona be Six would get me to buy a PS Five. Uh, but I hope at this point that the exclusivity for Persona games is over because I mean they're releasing Strikers on Steam and on Switch, so it, it would be kind of weird if they didn't start release. And they released Persona Four Gold on on Steam also, so I'll be kind of surprised if they don't. Uh, start releasing Persona games elsewhere, and and I, I, I it still baffles my mind that uh, Royal is exclusive to PS4. Yeah. Anyways, uh, games came out in November as well. Uh, there was a ton of games that all came out like all at once, and they so came out ten, right in that grouping of name name one of them for me. Destiny Two Beyond Light. Destiny Two Beyond Light is the first major uh, addition to Destiny without Activision. I believe it's the first like major major addition to Destiny without Activision, and uh, it's really overall lackluster. Uh, it's uh, we've said a lot about it, and because we we are getting to like November and December where we're only a couple podcasts back, so it is again like not worth just constantly going over. But the main kind of problem with Destiny Two Beyond Light is that it's Bungie should know what people expect by now. I have a certain expectations by now. And there are major content updates like Taken King that I, I look at as this is what Destiny should be. And, and Taken King was like just phenomenal area, awesome, creepy uh, uh, ship to explore every single little thing. And that there was just new, bizarre kind of things that people were finding out day to day. And it was, it was just this massive area that felt great and it was an amazing looking area. And Beyond Light takes place on Europa it's just kind of a snowy area. There's some interesting things to say about how it's the first Destiny area that has uh, weather mechanics, but you're really just doing the same stuff over. The area is large, but it doesn't feel that large, and there's really not that much interesting stuff. The way that um, the way that the Dreadnought, or I believe is the name of it, felt like you just any under every rock was a new little secret and different things and different community community events all throughout it uh this just doesn't feel like that like this just does not feel as full and interesting of a world and the 
content was a little bit boring and you're really just doing the same stuff over and over again they like everything you're doing just keeps going back to this one taken catch like constantly you're just like yeah. they, they just reuses the same stuff over yeah, and over I, again I, I went through this story and then i thought about what would come next and i played a little bit of the pvp and i was just like this isn't it this isn't what i want which is a bummer because Destiny actually, like the the PvP mode, actually is one of those games where I could just jump in there and shoot, but uh, it just wasn't worth it because of the way that the um, cryo yeah. like interacted with PvP, where it's like you can it just freeze enemies it to have like control taken away from you, and like uh, so so I just wasn't into yeah, it. Yeah, especially uh, the initial thing where yeah. where when this first dropped it was even worse and on really low cooldowns people were able to just throw grenades or melees that would freeze you and lock you out of moving for so long and then even when you got out of you you had to mash a button to get out of it and even when you do that you take a big burst of damage so you almost kill yourself and you like remove your shield so people could like there's just tons of videos just go look at it of, of people freezing people and then the enemy is sitting there mashing to get out, and they can just do emotes or dance, wait for the, it to break, and then just hold the, the cursor over the enemy's head, and then pop them in the head when they come out of it. It just frustrates, like, that is obviously frustrating. It feels like they didn't test a lot of this stuff. It feels like this is not up to par. This just, the whole expansion is not up to par. That's, like, the one thing I would say about it, is that it is not the bar that Bungie themselves have set for for themselves like this is not yeah. up to community well, expectations very frustrating maybe fall off of this is that like a couple days after this came out the borderlands three director's cut came out so when destiny added like stasis and they added like you know these new trees or whatever so did borderlands they released a fourth skill tree for their characters but borderlands three just has more interesting and diverse build choices uh, they release like a ton of weapons. They've been constantly rebalancing the game, and it, it just felt like such a. Th these games do kind of exist similarly in that they're looter shooters, but like B Borderlands, just it, it feels like it has this, despite being like worse writing and like worse production values. The actual moment to moment uh, was more interesting to me. Like I, I feel like the new skill trees. Uh, because of the way that you're mixing skill trees together, that they that it had like a bigger impact. So an example of one of the Borderlands skill trees is there's this character that you could pick named Mose, and she has a, a mech. So the different skill trees for her mech uh, essentially give you like different out like it outfits the mech in different ways. Where it's like this is a laser one, this has rockets instead, this has like a Gatling gun instead. But the new skill tree made it so that the mech follows you around. So instead of kidding out things that you're getting when you get into the mech, you're making the mech a, a passive little buddy, like a pet. And everything that you're kidding onto it uh, is now different because of the way that now you're not getting into it and it's shooting, you know, it's shooting alongside of you. So the considerations of the way that you're going through the tree is like totally different now that it's like, this isn't my ultimate. This is something that's there with me all the time. So how does that change the way that I'm thinking about building this? And those are the, the things that they added for all of the new characters. So when it's that versus the very uh, static and kind of uninteresting like stasis stuff going on in Destiny, where they literally like have the same grenade 
yeah from different that's characters. insane to me like it feels so incredibly lazy not to mention in a lot of ways it it, it frustrates me that prior to this you had um you have three every every class had three talent trees and you're not really like i think destiny one even somehow did it a little bit better with making choices and going down a talent tree and now you're just kind of picking a grenade and a melee and a jump and then you don't really pick you just pick what what ultimate you want but you used to kind of have um you know i think it's like three ultimates per um element style and you you could jump between you're not jumping on the fly but but you could have uh, arc lightning or void uh and different ultimates within the arc lightning or void for every class but now with your with the europa and beyond light it kind of it's a completely different way of doing it where you are like locked in and you get these as you're playing they can they have these like mods that can kind of change your grenade or um your melee but it doesn't feel especially when starting off you just it's it there's not you're not getting choices for a long time with what you're with with what you're you're getting and it made it kind of so that everyone just picking this stasis for the most part came out and i saw the three characters i thought this is a fine start i bet that we'll get a new character class every year yeah (laughs) i thought that we'd have you know we had hunter warlock and titan but i thought there would be more like, I don't I think it needs a new be... subclass. I just think that that a new base class or a new base class. I think it. I I would just rather them flesh out the subclasses. I would rather there be some more choices. I I don't think you really get to make meaningful builds. I like there is uh, with the the way that armor works now. There are these kind of there there are choices you're making, but it's more on like the minimal stat level. It's more on like I'm gonna switch all of my uh gear to having grenade cooldown and have a gun that you know gives me back my uh grenade and then i'm gonna have this like grenade build but you're not really the the way that you would in uh borderlands like have these like massive talent trees and a lot of other rpgs having this talent tree that you're like picking all this different stuff that has these fascinating synergies is like it's just that it's it's really your like like your ha- your synergy that you're creating in Destiny is to get a grenade more usually, and it's not this weird. Where does all the production go in Destiny? I don't like, know. I don't know what they spend their time on. It looks good. Like the music is good. There's like some epic moments, but you look at the actual churn of content that they that they have an asking price for, and you compare it to all of these other live service games. And it's like, what are you guys doing with all of your time and money? Like, everything feels so bland. I just don't get it. Yeah. When there's games like Path of Exile or Fortnite or, like, any of these other games, like, Valorant has more content coming out for it than Destiny does. Yeah. It really is. It's 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 truly baffling. I, I wonder what they're... Wor- I do wonder what they're working on all the time. I they They have blueprints for what a good expansion is. And to go under that mark, so to just have, like, a good expansion to me is, like, phenomenal, interesting areas. Maybe you increase, maybe you you do, like, an area and a .5. Like, you add more onto one zone, and then you add a completely new area. And this usually the story has you bouncing back between, uh, you're going to Earth for this thing, and here's a new area on Earth 
uh, that you that opened up that you've never seen before, and then we'll go back to Europa in a second. And they do all that kind of stuff and have maybe multiple strikes, new PvP maps, new stuff like that. Like like um, if you're gonna add a new subclass, add a lot of uh, variability. And the fact that they instead of that had like one of just everything except for a PvP map, they didn't even bother adding that. It's just we, you got the one new strike, and we even they even sunset old content is like. It's baffling. Like, did you really did you really think that you made enough that you could you could take things away? Like, did you, they didn't make any? They there is one set of new armor and guns and stuff. Like, and then they, there's been a slow drip of like exotics kind of coming out. But for them to sunset old content, it, it's it's truly baffling. Like what they and that that is the history of Destiny, right? Is just Bungie making baffling decisions where. It, it just it, it just boggles the mind what how what, what are these people doing are they playing this fucking game that they're making it's they, it's they, they make a misstep and then they have to apologize and say that they'll get it right and the community is like hey we're being vocal about what we want it's not a mystery and then Bungie will make like kind of do right and then kind of do wrong again and it's like what 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 are you doing what are you doing I don't get it yeah if you were playing your own game, you would come to these these conclusions. But your community is, like, screaming at you, like, this is what we want. Can we just have this? And then there's, like, I don't even know. What could the community possibly want? Why are you guys not happy with what we did? Because they've been asking for it. Why are you... It's just... It, it's it's truly incredible. It is really incredible that, that Beyond Light is is what it is. I feel like they this is not up to snuff. Yeah, I just feel like... I, I wish people didn't... Like, I feel like that's a bad thing to say, but I wish that... The, the people were just playing better games and 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 that Bungie tried harder yeah that Bungie would have to try harder uh there you, but you know what i think is going to happen is that respawn entertainment is going to make the game that kills destiny and i know that's like it's like a funny thing to say like oh this game kills this but the developers of apex legends did announce that they're creating a, a game in the vein of death yeah i would love that i hope that they that they make Bungie try harder yeah it would be cool they definitely they definitely do not have competition really on this this open world grand scale um all, all live all, service like the online like the always going on. to a- yeah yeah and when and maybe when they have that uh, a open world grand scale always online uh looter shooter kind of thing too that also has the high presentation of destiny that it will finally add a fire underneath Bungie yeah. to because Bungie really can just that that's been the story is that they've been able to fail constantly and that yeah, there's really like, nothing like it that I like, like I like Warframe more than Destiny but it's not really the same it's not like a one to one the same thing because yeah. Warframe is also not as accessible as Destiny is like there's a lot of weird systems yeah uh, going on so but, but I think that Respawn is actually the company who would make it happen. And you could put that down as my pre Okay, we'll so 11-10, November, uh, Fuser came out. Yeah, I put down Fuser. I wanted to discuss it ahead of uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon. So I, I've discussed, like, the the good things and bad things about this game. But so, so Fuser is a DJ game where essentially you can mix together multiple tracks of songs. So you could put, like, the... Um, juice from lizzo you could put like the drums from that song you could put the uh flute from mask off and you could put the, oh yes you can put the flute from mask off and you could put the the vocal track from call me maybe uh and it, it's really fun it's neat you can also add in like instruments like you get like this sort of drum machine interface 
uh, for different instruments like synth basses, fancy pianos, all of this that you're unlocking as you play through missions and level up. You're unlocking currency to buy more songs, to buy more instruments, to buy more effects. You could buy like different fades and tremellos to go over the tracks. Um, this game is less of a game and more of a music sandbox where it's not going to be this thing of like, I'm going, I'm playing Fuser blindfolded and I'm going to make the perfect mix of um, Through the Fire and the Flame uh, mixed with Soldier Boy and it's it, like my skills are going to blow you away. It's not really about that. Um, I, I feel like the score and all of that is secondary to just like making cool shit and enjoying what you make. And I feel like the meat of the game is really in the social game modes. So one of them is co-op freestyle where you're taking some bars and you're like playing these bars for your friends and then you're passing it over to them and then they're building the song. They're like building on your song and you're like making like requests. Like you're like put something from the 1970s into the mix. Uh, and then the other game mode that I feel like is the is the sort of like a community mode where every week uh, a challenge is made. So like we're doing a synth pop challenge where you have to use like the this specific instrument and make something that sounds like synth pop, make it sound like bright and bubbly. And then you're going in there and you're creating a mix and then you're submitting your mix and then you're listening to other people's mixes. You're, you're essentially just trying to make something that people will vote on and like. And if you're upvoted enough, then you get like some unique cosmetics uh, for your DJ. And I've done a couple of these submissions and I think that like creating those is some of the more, it's like probably the most rewarding and interesting part of this game because you actually are tasked with trying to make something that sounds good because other people are going to listen to and, and I think that that's the fun of the game is you're in the sandbox, you're using these tools, and you're actually trying to make something that sounds good. Yeah, rather than just the, the AI just constantly wanting you to change things and not really... Because the real DJs aren't just constantly changing things out uh, and just trying to meet these combos that's being asked for, I guess. Yeah, and it feels cool to like log in and be like, did anybody check out my mix? Like it reminds me a lot of playing Mario Maker, yeah. where you would like make a level and then like you want to log in every day just to see if like more people played it or if anybody beat it. It kind of feels like that, and they've continued to add uh, three new tracks to the game every week. And I feel like at two dollars, like the tracks are pretty affordable. You could you could make a pretty good library of just songs that you want uh, through through checking that stuff out. And they have like they they put out like a season pass for the songs so that if you're someone who just wants everything then you can buy the season pass and get it all so overall i think fuser is i i don't know how successful it is but i i do think that they they succeeded in setting out what they were trying to do and i hope that it gets the recognition and the money it deserves yakuza like a dragon big game for the big james um this is the best story of the year so uh last of us so eat shit genshin take a seat well genshin does, would you say that genshin has the best story of the year for you yes that's bizarre uh you haven't played it you don't I played you... i 
does it change? Because I felt yes. like there was literally zero story. Like it felt like the. I just said I, I, you weren't listening to me saying how there's there's amazing story that comes especially later in the game and the, what they're doing now and that the individual the character uh, every like there's different character quest lines and they are so incredible how much depth they add to the character and and just See, really emotional like, interesting yeah, things. Writing. But when I mean it, when I'm talking about good story, it needs to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know? I think that and, that's an outdated concept. And I feel like Yakuza really did that. I feel like the setup for this game is so strong. Like, uh, I, I don't know how much I, we should get into it, but essentially uh, you start off as this, like, low-ranking member in this Yakuza family, and your character really admires... Uh, the the leader essentially like the leader saved him from like uh, a life of squalor and uh, essentially someone in your clan murders uh, an, an officer from another clan and your boss essentially asks you to uh, take the hit for them to go to prison and for 20 years and you know uh, so you're in prison and all you want is to like go back and like see your boss again because he's like sort of like a big father figure to you. And like you just want to get like so 20 years pass, you leave prison, you like see your boss. It looks like he doesn't even like recognize you. And then you like barge in on him in this meeting and he shoots you and essentially like you're presumed dead. And you wake up and you're like in this camp of bums who and like one of the bums like essentially like stitched you together and, and saved you. And it's like this this like camp is like a dumping ground for Yakuza bodies. So now you're in like this totally new place, like 20 years have passed. You don't know what a cell phone is. Uh, and you're just like learning about like this new world. You like are trying to get a job. So like the other thing is like this character uh, loves Dragon Quest. So the game, so like you're seeing the world through his lens. So everything is like turn-based and you're getting jobs and the jobs are literally like, I'm going to a place like a recruiting agency and I'm finding a job and then I'm becoming a chef. And because I'm a chef, I have access to like um, cleaver abilities and like flambe abilities and like I can breathe fire like all, like all chefs do. Or I'm a foreman and I'm like doing these massive like hammer swings and like breaking through walls. And it's really interesting how they like turn professions into like magic mm-hmm. and uh, like support classes. Like if you're like a pop star or something, you're like singing songs and like buffing your teammate with things. But But this game also like has that level of like self-awareness and yakuza ridiculousness where you're running into adult babies and you're dressing up as like a mascot to advertise rice cakes and and there's all these like bizarre mini games and one of them is like it, it's a business simulation where essentially you have like this sweets shop that you turn into like a multi-billion yen holdings company and there's just like so much going on like this the the like the open world like feels like pretty alive the the characters are so likable you're like level you're also like leveling up your um camaraderie or whatever it is your social links with your characters going through their unique stories and all of that and it just the 
is so like over the top and insane. Like uh, this is a game that, you know, made me tear up at the ending. Like it's so good. The protagonist is so incredibly likable. Like this is if Goku joined the Yakuza, this is what you would get like this guy. Uh, and, and it is just fantastic. It's, it's a, it's a terrific game that I feel like people might not play because they have some preconceived notion of what Yakuza is, or, or they maybe they think Yakuza is sort of like a Grand Theft Auto. Like maybe they don't know much about it and they just assume that it's like a crime game like Grand Theft Auto. And it's like, this is totally not that. This game is so original and this this like it blew me away. And I, I think that Yakuza Like a Dragon is a fantastic, fantastic game. I put 80 hours into it. I beat it. Yeah, I feel like it's a pretty common game on those end of the year lists. But I feel like it won't be anyone's number one. It, it was a, It's a tough year to be number one. And this game does have like a few nitpicky issues that you could get out there, like some hardcore like um, uh, difficulty spikes that make it feel like a little bit less smooth. There's like so, some things that just make it feel like essentially like not perfect. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like it's going to... I can see this as being like in the top five or the top three for a lot of people, but maybe not number one. Ready to go on to Super Liminal on yeah, November 12th? I didn't play this one. I um, played what's this. The deal? Did you beat it? I did. Um, it's, Ooh, around, really? it's around like two hours. Um, it's, oh, wow. I think so. I think it's like two, three hours. Uh, it's pretty short. It, it's definitely in that uh, portally kind of vein, but it's more Stanley Parable than anything else, I would say. Uh, the idea of the game is that uh, you are in a like dream state in this that you go to this this business this company that puts you in a dream like a hypnotic dream state where uh, you solve puzzles that are kind of based on your perspective uh, to get over your kind of boring life or the rut you're in uh, the the main way that you're playing it is it's uh, incredibly linear um, you're just going from room to room. And the, the, the kind of major gameplay conceit is that the if you pick up an object, it is what you it is what your perspective of it is. So, for example, if you pick up like a, a there's a there'll be a dice, a die, actually, on a table or something, and you can pick up the die. And if you move the die next to something large in your perspective, then it would be large in the same way that if you're far away from a mountain and you put up your hands up to it, your hands are, your finger is as big as the mountain. Um, but when yep. you let go of the die, it will be as big as it appears in the environment. I don't have any idea how that is working behind the scenes. It's absolutely insane. So like if you, if you go, if you move really close to another object and you're holding the die, then it would make the thing seem, feel small. And then if you let go of the die, it'll be it'll you can make it smaller and smaller by moving it closer to uh, uh, moving really really close to an object. If you face a large and and the room is wide and open, and you let go of the die while it looks like it would be big, then it's big. So the main idea is that you're just kind of like changing the sizes and the shapes and the uh, the different aspects of objects by changing your perception of it. Um, and there's kind of some interesting stuff that happens with like very quickly, uh, you find that uh, the the it's not at what it seems, and they, they, there gets to be this kind of dark element to it, and then it comes back around, 
as this wild kind of culmination of everything. And it's a really interesting kind of quick uh, two-hour game that can kind of make you think or appreciate certain things a little bit. Uh, I know that you played or you watched a, uh, a, a speed run of this, I think, at a GDQ, um, and that you were like, oh, should I play this? And I would say absolutely not. Uh, th- this game actually is in- so incredibly linear. And there was a lot of times where I figured out ways to break the game, and I thought that it kind of wanted me to do that. So I would get out of bounds, and it really was just out of bounds, and there'd be nothing. There were certain times where I had to reload. Like, there's, like, start... There's, like, an option when you press start to... Um, to start the room over again, and I had to do that a couple times because um, I like fell through geometry. Like the game does not want you to think. Like it, it's, it's weird because for as much as the game is like thinking outside the the box and your perspective, the second you do that, you just kind of like fall through geometry or get caught on a, a part of the world that they didn't actually design or, or want you to be. And you're thinking like, I, I thought you kind of wanted me to do something like this. I don't get why you're punishing me, but. Um, it's pretty good overall. There's yeah, there's nothing to see. I feel like you finish it the one time and that's it. They they did add a mode where you can like create your own kind of dreamscapes and uh, find have people go through puzzles, but I don't think I would be necessarily interested in that. Uh, if you right. if you've never heard of what this is, I think it's fascinating and uh, you like it's worth the playthrough if you have the money and just you you want one of those crazy like two hour whirlwind experiences that you're gonna get up from and just be like in a haze and like almost be like looking at objects differently for a little while and just uh so it's an interesting kind of thing i wouldn't say that it comes together all throughout like it it didn't set the world on fire um because it is more of like a stanley parable game and i I do feel like it's slightly missed opportunities they do have you doing kind of a lot of the same stuff and that you as the player might actually think of more interesting things to have done or like when you break the world that you're like oh, i i thought you would have wanted me to do something more interesting but i guess you just never thought of that as the developers that so it's a it's a great game though i mean like it, it it's a it's a good game you like I, I i i wholeheartedly recommend it if you can stomach that like whatever like 17 20 price tag for two hours yeah. of like some wild enjoyment then that well, maybe that's it. better because it i mean it feels nice to finish things right not always <laughs> um anyway uh a game that i haven't finished but that i actually do play uh i think every day is hyrule warriors age of calamity so this is the game that i play uh when i get into bed and i'm like watching something before i go to sleep i play hyrule warriors age of calamity and it's super chill it's so you know we've talked about it before it's a dynasty warriors game but it's set in the breath of the wild universe it's set i think a hundred years before the events of Breath of the Wild. And essentially what happens is there is like this little, like the, this tiny little guardian that comes from the future and tries to warn Princess Zelda about what's going to happen. So think about like, a, it's like a BB-8 or like an R2-D2 type it's of It's exactly like character. a BB-8. It's so cute. Like it is, it's such an adorable character. Uh, but essentially, yeah, this guardian warns you and then like you are assembling the team that will fight Calamity Ganon. So you are assembling like the pilots that will get together the divine beasts. Um, So that's pretty cool because you're actually like playing as these characters and they actually, you know, they gave these characters more of a personality. They gave them like combat And, and it's really cool because it's like, you don't usually get to play as like a Zora or as like a, 
of Goron in these in in you know Zelda games. Oh, what, what about so, Majora's Mask, my friend? That's true, but that's uh, how old. Majora's Mask but, is timeless. That's how old it is. Yeah, and I think well, it, and, and it came out in 99 or 2000 yeah. because it came out really shortly after. It might have been 99. They came out like almost like a year after Ocarina. Yeah. But there are parts of the story that I actually find to be incredibly touching. I, I think one of the most interesting things going on in this story, and this is not a spoiler uh, because the game actually does have like a great story. Um, and, and also before I get into that, really fantastic art and really fantastic music because this is leveraging just like the Breath of the Wild art style. Everything is in that Breath of the Wild, you know, like vibe uh, and also like the music, just fantastic. But the story, one of my favorite things is just, so you're assembling everything and getting everything ready. Like Link finds, like Link starts out just like as a knight of Hyrule and then, you know, they discovered the Lost Woods and he discovers like the Master Sword. They assemble the Divine Beast team, the people who are going to pilot them. But this whole time, like Zelda isn't able to figure out like what her purpose is in all of this. Like she can't get the power of the Triforce working. So it's like this very somber like game of her like feeling like everybody is working with her but she doesn't have like the power to contribute anything and so i'm waiting for the story beats to happen where like zelda comes into her own or like something wouldn't that be fun yeah or like makes like something like epic and amazing like happen and and she you know she gets like her triforce power and and i think that that's going to be incredibly exciting but the map and the environments and like the fact that you're like fighting through Hyrule Castle and you're fighting through uh what was do you remember the name of like the ninja clan the, Sheikah? Yeah. No, the the like the bad guys. Um remember they like they they love bananas, like they turn into bananas and stuff like well, that. I forgot, it's not Gerudo. Yeah, I know no. I, I know what you're talking about. Well you like fight through like their stronghold. And it is, it's sick. Like, they have, like, the characters, like, the bad, like, all those bad guys. And I'm actually just surprised at the number of characters that you play as. And also, there are some really cool secret characters that you can unlock. Like, if you put in, like, a ton of resources into doing some of the side stuff, uh, you just unlock some really crazy shit. And and I've been loving that. And I'm going to keep playing it. I've, I've been enjoying that. I'm going to keep playing it. We have I, uh, November 23, WoW Shadowlands. Uh, neither yeah, of us played so- this. Only kind of worth beating a dead horse, honestly. Uh, friend of the show, uh, Jay, we used Jay for his opinion on WoW Shadowlands. Thank you, Jay. Um, kind of fell off this quickly, and he still comes back for WoW expansion. Um, it's uh, There's some kind of kind of decent, interesting elements in this. Like you, First of all, you're going to like this realm of the dead or a purgatory realm where they can, of course, bring back everyone you think that the characters are dead no don't worry about that these writers can't write themselves out of a paper bag so they're just going to keep using those characters and then they'll kill them again and they'll use them again so you're in this kind of realm of the dead and one of the cool one of the most unique aspects of it i guess is that you align with a certain faction and then you get abilities of that faction so like there's a vampiric faction and if you're a warlock you know, every every class can align with any of these factions and get an ability from them. So, like, a warlock might get 
a spell that is vampiric. A warrior might get a bite and stuff like that. But then they could you take it to a different faction, a um, a brawler's faction, and then the, and instead the warlock's gonna get a melee attack that they could. I don't know stuff like that. So um, there's they're they're doing that now. That's that's something kind of interesting, I guess. And uh, I, I think the main thing that that uh, Jay was saying that is frustrating is that. It has gone even more so in that realm of uh, dailies and login and repeatable content than it ever has been. Like, you have to go do this, like, daily roguelike kind of dungeon that changes every day and uh, that it that he's like, I just don't have the time or energy yeah. to upkeep this. Like, I don't want to get, get have to get on every single day um, and do this kind of shit. Like, I remember uh, the more recent WoW expansions were doing some kind of, like, mobile style base building bullshit and dispatch quests where you have to send yeah, or you'd be like waiting around for world events that like one person gets to like or like a couple people get to flag the monster and get like a mount yeah and then like everybody else misses out yeah so i remember all that shit and uh i just don't need that in my life i don't need a game to i, I have enough chores yeah what a shambling any... corpse it is uh, I, honestly get rid of it get wow too i don't even care um yeah they need a hard reset. They really need a hard reset. Just everything. I, I don't even get the, the like, I, I, I'll leave it on because I don't want to say anything more about this game we didn't play. But I played, we both played a ridiculous amount of WoW in our lives. Like, I, ridiculous. Like, tens of thousands of hours of WoW. Like, seriously. Um, like, I, I absolutely did nothing but play WoW for years. And over the course of many expansions. And uh, I, I would say that one of the most hilarious things in, like, the state of WoW is that uh jay was saying that there was a for christmas they did a bundle where you could pick a mount you want and a pet you want for 70 dollars. oh what a treat on top of the monthly subscription the, and and my first thought was like this game is so fucking ugly at this point this game is uh, there's no other word for it it's ugly like it is this game has not like blizzard like i i would have said that wow was kind of timeless but we're past the point where it's timeless we're, we're to the point where it no longer it, it it is like five years outside of what other games in this in mmos look like and the idea that you want me to pay 70 dollars for a mount and a pet of like someone's choice is to to me actually hilarious that that like in a game that looks this this dated can actually think that people and I'm sure there are people who do it because they've been playing it for for over a decade and maybe they feel like they have to own the way that they used to be able to earn every amount now they have to start buying cosmetics to make it so that they have everything if they have a, like a FOMO whatever disgusting All right. so Apex Legends season seven the reason why I put it on this list you know obviously Apex has released a couple seasons this year, but I think the biggest uh, change with season seven is the inclusion of the new map Olympus, which I actually do think after playing it a lot is, uh, I think that it's the best battle royale map uh, to have ever existed. I, I think that it's beautiful. I think that there are a lot of different uh, vistas and venues for fighting. I, I think that in, in a lot of other battle royale maps, there will be places where like, I can't stand and I don't want to go and I don't ever want to be at. Uh, but I feel like Olympus offers so many options and not even that, but I feel like there are so many places that actually just like change the engagements in so many way. So an example is there's this one area called grow towers where there are essentially like all of these like spirally 
like buildings, but they're all like open. They're all like these open buildings that like have like uh, spiral ramps that go up them, but they're also constantly spinning. Uh, so it makes the engagements that are happening there like totally different because characters with like movement based abilities like Pathfinder can use the momentum of like the spinning tower to like propel around. Uh, and then there are also like these massive open areas, like nice corridor, like there are areas that like have like vents that go through them. There's actually vehicles on this map that they're surprising in that they don't feel like they don't make the game worse. And typically like vehicles in games just make the game worse. Remember Destiny 1 had vehicles? Do you remember that? Yeah, on some maps. Yeah. Wild to think about. Like like they, they had no reason, no point in having them. Uh I don't know. Do, were yeah. they on the PvP maps? I, I think there were, were some. Yeah, yeah. They, they were. There were like big maps that just like had vehicles on them in PvP. And I feel like at some point they actually just took those maps out mm-hmm. uh, before they even went to Destiny 2. Uh, so Apex continues to be amazing. It continues to be the best Battle Royale. As someone who doesn't play a lot of Battle Royales, right? Yeah, I guess. But it's the, it's the one that I care about the most. I find, like, the combat and the gunplay to be so good. Like, the sounds of the guns, like, the feeling of them. They they actually do manage to have really unique weapons in them, like the, the triple take and, and uh, the charge rifle, I, I feel, are pretty unique and interesting. Yeah, I remember so, you making uh, a good point that um, that that in Apex, you can... The, the um, uh, vehicles kind of use characters' abilities a lot, like... Character could put a turret on the on the vehicle, or you could put explosives on the vehicle, like stuff like that. Or you get bubble shield. Yeah, so you could do all these kind of things. So it makes the vehicles kind of fit in with the gameplay more, rather than just um, in a lot of other things where it completely changes the game. Like you're just instead of you being a unique character, you get uh, on the vehicle and you either can't move at all, or you just do a turret that ever, anyone can do. And instead, this yeah. like instead they kind of use. The characters' abilities kind of interact with the vehicles in a cool way to make the vehicles almost like do whatever the character does. Yeah. Also, there was like some people complaining a lot when the battle pass came out about like how grindy it is, and I guess they haven't played Valorant because I play way more Valorant than I do Apex Legends. But I'm almost done with my Apex pass, and I play it like I don't know half as much. Well, it was as like changed double, and then they have like double week free weekends and stuff like that. Valorant doesn't really have that. They just have like dailies. I and know, weeklies. and and Apex also has like they have dailies uh, and weeklies. You know, yeah, hundred years. They've got like dailies and weeklies, which I mean, you know, some people think that they're beneficial. Some people think they're detrimental. They do ask you to play certain characters and to do certain things. Like there will be dailies that are like. Uh, well, not dailies, but there will be like weeklies and the weeklies stack up. So you unlock week one challenges. And even if you don't finish them, they'll stay with you for the entire season. And then week two challenges and week three. So if you don't play the game for a month, you have four weeks of challenges that you can do all at the same time. Uh, but the weeklies would be things like play 10 games as the character X, Y, or Z. Uh, get 5,000 damage with character X, Y, or Z. And some of them are more specialized, like heal 200 uh, hit points while playing Lifeline or uh, get 10 kills with weapons that come out of care packages. So they, they're a little bit more um, involved than uh, Valorant missions. But also I feel like Apex is a bit more casual than a game like Valorant where it doesn't feel like 
I'm going to throw the game by doing this mission. Whereas in Valorant, it's like, if, if you gave me a quest that was like deal 200 damage with uh, Molotovs, I people would think that I'm throwing the game if I'm just like have my brimstone Molotov out and I'm just like trying to peg people with it. So, but but I've been digging it. It's like a it's 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 my casual like go to game. I I find it to be way more chill. I I feel like this is a game where the ranked mode is actually like way more relaxing to play uh, than in than in Valorant where it's like super sweaty. Because uh, and I've talked about this before, but the good thing about Apex is. When the game is going poorly, it's over quickly. And when the game is going well, the it's lasting longer. So the, those are kind of the, the reasons why I dig it. And I think I'm going to continue to stick with Apex because it's also a game that I, I feel like I can play it even without a party because most people just like ping and, you know, they do what they're supposed to do. I, I don't run into a lot of shit talking. So it's good. So December 8th, going into December now, uh, Monster, oh, San- Monster Sanctuary. Mo- do you play this? Yeah, I haven't gotten too into it because I'm I'm waiting to finish Age of Calamity, um, and I feel like this will be my new bedtime game. But I do want to talk about it a little bit because I think it's doing some interesting things. So the easiest way to describe it, isn't it weird how, it's not weird, but like the easiest way to describe games is game X plus game Y. Yeah. So this is Metroidvania plus Pokemon, where essentially you're training, you're capturing and training monsters and you're using their abilities to help you traverse the world. So if you get like a flying monster, it will help you, it will allow you to access new areas where you'll be able to get a fire breathing monster so you can melt this ice that will get you to the next place or something like that. Um, But it's doing some interesting things. So this game does have, I think, a smaller roster of monsters compared to uh, a Pokemon, I think it's at like maybe a hundred monsters or something like that. The original was only like 120 though. <clears throat> uh, yeah, well, 151. 151, but, yeah. But the thing that's different about this game is that it doesn't have evolutions. So, and it, and also your monsters aren't. I I don't think they learn new abilities because essentially what happens is as you level monsters up, you're getting skill points. And all the monsters have skill trees, and they have four skill trees that represent the four abilities that they would have. And you might start out with a monster that like has an ice attack, but as you uh, spec it out, you could spec it into being like a hype, like a charge up ice attack where it'll do more da- like it'll charge one turn and then deal more damage the next turn. Or instead, you could spec it to be like an AOE ability or an ability that hits like three times instead of one. And you, you can sort of build out the monster's different skill trees uh, to turn them into, like, support here, like, into support monsters and into, like, uh, you know, this is a support monster, this is a damage over time or, like, a status effect monster, and this is, like, my pure damage monster. And it's the a kind of game where you're not doing, like, I do an attack, then you do an attack, because you're actually controlling, like, a party of three at once. And you also have like this combo meter where uh, the, fir- the first monster that you will attack with will do will act weaker than the second and the third. Uh, so you could do something like, uh, I'm going to do a lot of little attacks with my light attack monster uh, to charge up the power of my second attack monster. And maybe I'm like in dire straits and I need like a really powerful heal. I'll use my attacking monsters first so that they're charging the power of my third monster who's going to do a big heal because that's what I needed this time. 
So I feel like this is more than just Pokemon combat. They're actually doing some interesting things with it. And they're making you more conscious about like the monsters you're capturing because you need their different abilities to traverse the environments. So overall, I think this game is doing some pretty interesting things. And uh, I haven't put in a lot of time with it, but I am interested in, in, in doing that. But this does remind me of something uh, that I feel like we might have missed. Give me one moment here. I feel like we missed a game. We missed a game. We missed a game. We what did we not miss? talk about Monster Train. Oh my god, really? Which is, yeah, we didn't talk about Monster Train. Monster Train came back in May. Came out back in May. And I actually, oh, I'm so bummed that we didn't talk about this game because I actually think that this game is really fantastic. Uh, this game is, uh, so Monster Train we're talking about now, not Monster Sanctuary, Monster Train. It is a game that is a... Uh, Heavily inspired by Slay the Spire, but it also has some elements of like tower defense. And more so than Slay the Spire, it's a game about making synergies that are essentially like game breaking. And it's more about like, um, oh, I didn't prepare for this one. So I feel like I, I'm kind of missing out, but uh, it's more about like, I have like this team and I'm like getting items and making enhancements to them that are going to make them like super powerful so an example would be i'm in a store and i can grant an attack to a monster that will add 25 damage and maybe that's useful but it's more useful if i have a monster that hits three times because then instead of dealing 25 it's you know dealing an extra 75 and stuff like that so the the kind of cool thing about monster train is that there are these different factions that are based on different things where one of them is like based on uh, generating rage and dealing like all out attacks, but has very low amount of health. Whereas one of them will be based on being very tanky and having thorns and healing at the end of every turn. One of them will be based on magic spell damage and like uh, weakening the enemies to magic. One of them will be based on the fact that like there are these extremely powerful monsters, but they only last on the board for like a couple turns before they like melt away. So essentially what you're doing is you're taking one of these to be your primary class and you're getting like a champion unit that's like extremely powerful but can only be summoned once. And then you're taking a secondary class uh, and you're essentially combining like the cards and monsters of these classes together. Yeah, similar so that, to your to your magic where you have like blue and red decks and that kind of feels different than a blue and green deck. But they've been adding... Uh, I think they've actually added new suites. They've been adding uh, new monsters. They've been adding like mutations. Uh, I've beaten Monster Train many times, but they have like a similar to Slay the Spire. They have like ascensions where, okay, so now at the start of the run, we're going to put an extra three cards into your deck that are totally random. That could be from any faction. Or, okay, now that you've reached this ascendancy level, all of the bosses have additional minions on them. So, so that's sort of like the idea where as you beat the game, they're adding, they're stacking layers and layers of difficulty onto it. Uh, they have like custom dailies and things like that. And, and I actually think that this will sound insane, but I like Monster Train more than I like Slay the Spire. I, I think that Slay the Spire is more uh, reserved. It's more, I, I don't know the word, like there's, there's, Slay I, the I feel Spire, like reserved reserve makes sense. In this Slay the Spire was a bigger deal because Slay the Spire brought deck building to video games, I think. Yeah. 
I, it, deck I, building. It brought. I mean, it, specifically, it made like deck building roguelike. Yeah, a thing. And and I and I do think that there is um, something a little bit more tactical and, and practical about tactical and practical. But but Monster Train lets you have these like insane power spikes and like th this is like one of the reasons why I like Road Lights and it's one of the reasons why I love Noita and I love Risk of Rain is because I like to break the like I like to get synergies that are so insane that I just roll the game over and as you play through the like you you find these synergies and you just feel like oh I won because of this like totally game breaking thing that like I bet they totally didn't plan for but as you go through the ascension levels you have to find these game breaking synergies to win so I think that that's just a, a really fun ramp, and I and I think that I I, I kind of feel bad that I forgot about it and that I forgot to install it on my new computer because I, I I really do think this game is fantastic, and I think that anybody who likes Slay the Spire should really check out Monster Train. All right, um, yeah, Anyways, I'm, I'm surprised we that, I'm surprised that that was a really big one. I'm surprised yeah. that we don't have that. Back um, to December, so we've talked about uh, Cyberpunk 2077 a lot recently. Yeah. It is interesting what it is, you know, like it, like everything now, like we kind of, one of the reasons that we, that I really like this format of going that through the, the year is that it's sometimes more fun to even not just talk about the game, but the uh, situation surrounding the game, other games that came out, what influenced it, what people were thinking of it, um, the review cycle, um, how people thought of it at the time. And if it's, especially if it's a game like Valorant that, uh evolves over time like what does it look like near the end of the year and i guess yeah. cyberpunk is just interesting of it was uh you know so pervasive uh advertisements everywhere uh in new york city it's just at every bus stop kind of it's like cyberpunk and at the time i know i know that you had tempered your expe expectations a lot and i even early on thought you know this isn't really necessarily the type of game that i would want and i think it's funny that it, it had such a crazy marketing push and is probably one of the most just overhyped games I've ever seen in any sort of cycle. This game has been coming out, has, has been a long time coming, was pushed back a lot of times. And the fact that it got as much mainstream um, uh, saturation, like market saturation, and that people saw this uh, is weird to me because it, I don't think that this is a game for everybody. Um, and it is... And I, it, yeah. It's interesting, right? Because I also bet that there are like a ton of casual gamers they don't read game reviews they pick up like madden they pick up call of duty they saw cyberpunk they bought it and they liked it and they don't even know about all of these weird ways that people feel about it all the weird expectations that people have like they just were just like yeah it's a good game you get to you get to really uh you know boink those cyber hose it's a you know it's very cool Cyberpunk 2077, Boink to Cyberhose. And my and with your massive Keanu Reeves horse cock. I have a massive cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So but. let me tell you how I feel about Cyberpunk 2077. I think that um, I got a new graphics card. And I think that Cyberpunk 2077 is the best looking game that I've ever seen. I would say the best looking game I've ever played. Um, just in terms of like, this is, I, I've heard people say that the city feels empty. The city feels bland. Like they don't know, like you just like go from point to point, but I disagree just because as I'm going through the city, I just want to look at everything. Like seeing these massive like, sky 
is in the sky, like seeing the way that like light is reflecting off of people's outfits. Like, I, I just think that it looks so good. And, and it's so insane when you're like in like this super sun drenched city and then you like go into this building and you like go to these like super dark blacks and then like the room opens up to this like lit up neon bar and just like the the faces look so good like the animations are sick uh it's a lot of people are running into bugs especially on consoles and that really hasn't been my experience so i can't really talk to that um but but i actually think that the story is pretty good i i like the characters that you that you like uh work with getting to know them is cool like it it does feel like for everything going on in it, on like being like this, it's not like this epic grand scale story. It really does feel like it's a story about a couple of people and getting to know like where these people fit in this society that is like the, I, I don't know, it, it, it's like the evolution of like, this is late stage, like post-apocalyptic capitalism, essentially, yeah. where like, uh, you know the ultra rich live in in bubbles in the sky where the mole people are living in squalor uh in the sewers beneath the city yeah i would be a mole person in late stage ultra capitalism but you know i i just like think that the personal stories that are going on is so interesting like the the tech is interesting like i i think that the skill trees are pretty cool like collecting gear feels good i do think that it's funny how um the game makes you look like a hobo like like a like a hobo of wow mm -hmm. where it's like if you want to equip like the gear that is like the best equipment by armor class then you're wearing like a hard hat and a ballistic vest and a speedo so you yep. just like look ridiculous uh and ridiculous. I, I i find myself wearing gear that is bad just because i don't want to look ridiculous but i feel like everything else that I wanted to say about it has already been said. I think it's a strong eight out of, eight out of ten, you know. Yeah. And and I still believe that that's the case. I I do plan to continue playing it. Um, I'm just caught up in other things. Uh, December sixteenth, Synthetic Ultimate came out, and if you take one thing from this podcast, let it be this: Synthetic Ultimate is very very good. I've been liking this a lot. I played like ten hours. This is my this is my uh, I foreshadowed this earlier in the podcast. I, sh I should put in like a wavy voice of like, but I I haven't been playing that uh, uh, roguelike. I haven't been playing Star Renegades because I have been recent another roguelike. And you gifted this to me, and I ended up gifting this to three people actually. So one of which was on accident. No, three people for real. I that would okay. be a fourth person that I, okay. I that I accidentally gifted it to, and maybe he would have liked it. But um, maybe. what? Maybe probably. Yeah. So. Uh, Synthetic Ultimate, I like it. It works so well for me. I absolutely love it. I played. A, I usually play a run of this a day and have been really, really enjoying it. Um, I want to see like even more with this style because I just the moment to moment is uh, maybe my is like is like I, I, Hades is so good. I would never say that Hades is a, is is less good than this, but I, I think it is my absolute favorite moment to moment of any roguelike. I absolutely love the way this game feels. This is a top-down um, shooter. You are like a like a uh, person that is walking around this this like area. You're like a you are a, a, a turbo cop. You're a uh, a robocop. A robocop. Um, kind yeah, of the world is 
overrun by the machine legion and their gods yeah and it's uh it uses tack rp it uses tack shooter rules so um you there's tons of different classes that work in different ways there's classes that uh are assassins that work with like meleeing and shadows and invisibility there's classes that work with explosives and breaches there's classes that make sentries and all this kind of stuff and you and just like uh you know any other rogue kind of game you start out with uh, simplistic stuff, and you get to kind of pick some of your initial loadout, but 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 they're 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 kind of down to what your class is, and then as you're playing the game, you're getting those like upgrades and passives and uh, new things and new guns and mods for the guns, and it uses tax shootery kind of rules where uh, your reticle gets bigger as you're moving around, you have less less accuracy if you're moving around, and you have to stop and shoot. I think one of the things that uh, really blew me away by how good it feels even 10 hours in is that you have to, uh, and this is one of the, the, I feel like one of the craziest conceits of this game is that, um, when you are reloading, you have to eject the magazine and anything left in it is gone. So like if you, you have a, uh, a, a 10 in the clip and you shoot eight and you're going to go to a new group of enemies and you want to reload, you have to make a choice whether or not you want to save those two bullets. If you shoot the two bullets, you're gonna all the enemies are gonna pay attention to you. But if you reload, you're losing two bullets, and ammo is fairly scarce. So doing that a lot and just ejecting the clip and reloading is a horrible idea, and you're gonna run out of ammo really quickly. And just the overall feeling of it is very tactical. Like you have to press T to eject the clip. You have to do an active reload, a la Gears of War. Uh, and you have to stop shooting. Like how that puts together in combat really is I feel like it's designed to make you feel uncomfortable while you're getting a lot of shot at and your shield goes down and you have to, in that moment, be calm enough to press T, eject the clip, uh, active reload, and all the guns have different timings on active reloads and have like a lot of presence of mind and, and calm during a fight. It's, it's really cool. I feel like I'm always finding like new crazy stuff. There's like legendary guns that play way differently the one thing that i would say is like tack shooters do so much with making the guns feel like just different like i i absolutely love that destiny does this like i feel like good shooters do that where you pick up a gun and even like minor changes to the uh rounds per second kind of and reload animations and all this kind of stuff go to making the gun feel completely differently and like you pick up an ak in this game and it feels like an AK, like you have to really burst it. It goes way out of control if you're firing it too much, but it does a ton of damage if you're precise. And like the sounds, the reload sounds, like everything makes it so that you pick up a gun in this game and it you feel like it's different. Even though it's a top-down shooter, you're not really seeing the, your gun. You're not, it's a, it doesn't have the, the luxury of being a first-person shooter where you're picking up a gun in Destiny or you're using a gun in Destiny and it makes your screen look different and the animations look different. It doesn't have that luxury and yet it still makes like the, the everything about guns feel just so wildly unique. The second yeah. you pick up a gun, you like kind of know that it has like a good feeling to it. And the game does have like a look to it where it's using like the characters are like defined by like their bold colors. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but like, so there are like four like primary roles and then there are two sub roles. So there's like the green classes, the blue classes, the red classes. And absolutely, I've noticed this. When you're playing as a green class and you pause the game, the entire pause screen is green. 
and they they really like play on the motif yeah the, of that class. the green class is like commando like uh one of them has a um yeah. a, a turret that has to spool up where you have to hold down the button and spool up the turret and the other one is a well the other that, that was the other one the commando actually is has two dashes they're quick dashes and they have a knife and they can do extra damage by after a dash so they they want to almost like dash in knife and dash out and then also they have this whole mechanic with um randomly when enemies die they drop a dog tag and picking up the dog tags over time makes that class stronger there's so many classes that like they feel so different and a lot of the classes like you're i'm initially reading the kit and i'm not understanding how to make that work in person in 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 actuality and the more i'm playing the game the more that i like i try a new class and just feel like how different they're there's this one class where they re-detonate any explosive so this is so crazy and unique. Like you can find things like RPGs or grenade launchers. They actually start out with a grenade launcher, and um, whenever an explosion happens, even if an enemy dies and it's like a big kind of robot that explodes when it dies, you can press uh, right, right bumper, right mouse to um, reactivate an explosion. So you can use, you can build a kit of all explosives. You can have um, passive items that you find along the way that cause explosions. You can redetonate and you can kill enemies that explode and then redetonate their explosions like there's so many unique ideas in the classes yeah and also as you play the game like even on your failed runs you're getting like experience for the classes and then unlocking new tactical equipments for them that are unique to them uh that continue to make them feel unique and continue to you know give you more reasons to play to check out the new stuff that you unlocked it's pretty hard um I played a bunch of times, and I've really only gotten up to, I guess, what would be like the second boss. Um, uh, we got actually, you and I got to a kind of third area past where they make it. It was very weird. It was very. It was very different. Other areas. Yeah, Um, and I actually really enjoyed it on uh, two player. It is kind of a little frustrating. It it falls prey to Mm -hmm. what I had said earlier in the podcast in regards to Risk of Rain two, and that is that if you're playing a roguelike multiplayer. Then if they don't have unique drops, like I see on my screen a drop and you see a different one and we're not, uh, you know, running over each other or choosing uh, who gets it, it's a little bit more fun. Yeah, but it's but, a little but bit... I do feel like there was enough loot to go around. There was, a, there was enough loot and we ended up having like more than I would normally get of stuff. But it was a little frustrating to be like, I see a weapon crate. Do I go get it or should I let him have it? We, I, I, we, it's a, we got to a point where we were like trading off like... I got the last item, you get this item. I got the last gun, you get this gun. Um, and that it wasn't that wasn't really like slowing things down or uh, really ruining things uh, too much. But it is a little, um, it is like a minor grudge. I feel like I would rather just less drops and but have um, personalized drops so that you don't see what's dropping for me and that yeah, I could just. I see. mean, that's what they. That's the big change that they did between Borderlands two and three, and I think that it was the better, and I think that that's be doing. Um, and also in December, we, we talked a lot about this actually on a, on a podcast recently, but last epic is phenomenal. It's one of the best, uh, ARPGs for me. It might be the best ARPG because it is so, uh, class based and the classes, uh, really have that class identity and they're a little bit cooler than they are. in like, I guess like a Diablo, like you have like mage, like you have some of the kind of base classes that you would expect anywhere else, like rogues or mages, but they kind of build off into crazier 
things like like a mage can become a sorcerer that is more in line with just you know a mage but they're doing like black holes and meteors uh they can become a spell sword where they completely focus now on spells and enhancing their weapon becoming like a dashing like uh teleporting rogue that has some magic uh, and in the future they'll have like a rune master there's some really cool stuff it's a really good looking game it's still in uh it's not it's in point eight patch was in december and i think that was also when a lot of people had their eyes on this game i've, I've heard uh generally good things and i i really like it myself so i guess we'll see a point a 1.0 in 2021 and i think that'll Hopefully. be the best time once the once the all the classes have their uh have their subclasses and that they can work more on uh making more things or end game or seasons i want to see what they do this game but i i i'm very hopeful very cool and that's december those are the games that, that was the games um, uh so just a, a little bit about this year uh, and you know we already talked about some of this but uh I, I do think that the biggest change uh for us in terms of gaming is just that we've been playing so many more games together right like uh not just you and i but also our whole group like i don't even know what games were we playing together before you know, Valorant came out. Like we played a little bit of Apex, but and we played like some Mortal Kombat. But I feel like this year, like we're playing more games with more people. Uh, you know, we were playing Valorant, we were playing Among Us, Phasmophobia. We didn't even talk about Sea of Thieves because you know that wasn't that's a more, that's more recent recently. game that we started playing. Uh, and I've already put I think like forty hours into it. yeah forty six. Yeah, that should get its own podcast. Game. That's a completely. So we'll talk about that. But it, I, I feel like. This has been uh, my most social year for gaming. Yeah, despite this is being my least social year for everything else. It really is like the year where, um, past a certain point in the day, like I I do work like half the week, um, but past a certain point in the day, if I'm off, you know, you get on and people are playing games, and it's like this like almost return to childhood hanging out where you you know you have enough people, so we would play. Among Us or um, uh, Fake Artists in New York. Um, and then as like some people switch out or some people are like, oh, I want to go play Sea of Thieves. We got four. That's perfect. Or we got five. Let's do some Valorant or something. Or, uh, you know, just do Phasmophobia and do screen sharing or something like that. So it really just got to be this thing where people were on for a couple hours in a row jumping around doing different multiplayer games. And I've never understood the whole like Discord server community thing. Like, some people were like, like, sometimes I'd be on, like, Reddit and people are like, oh, I'm looking for friends to play this game with. And someone would be like, join my Discord. And I'd be like, I don't want to join a Discord. But now that, like, uh, you know, we sort of have our Discords going, we have, like, our Discord for shooting games and our Discord for, like, party games. I, I kind of understand it at this point. And I, and I kind of like the idea of, like, growing out my friend group for people who want to play these different games and getting them into the discord server. And I like seeing like, Oh, so-and-so's in the discord server. Oh, Jessica and Charlene are playing Valorant together oh, and, and play with them. I just, hopped, I just hopped into a discord <laughs> into the other discord server. Uh, so I, I, that's been pretty cool. So I've been getting more into the, the discord community and you know, it's been nice. It's a weird uh, year for a lot of reasons. It's been a weird time to be alive. Maybe one of the weirdest. I, I, before uh, Corona, I don't think I could have ever imagined uh, an event that would... This is like a 9-11, but for the world. It's it, in a way that is so bizarre. 
but it also so divided in a in a way that is the the, the only positive thing with 9-11 really is that uh, for a while America felt unified and it doesn't feel that way at all. So yeah, just a po- weird listen listen to our follow politics episode after this. I know big about, politics. Oh man, what a fuck it was half the time we was, are a polit- politics it podcast. Was so it was so hard for me to work this week. Like with all the events going on, like I was just watching live streams of the of the uh, coup, attempted coup, yeah. if you want to call it that, whatever you want to call it. And now I'm just like relishing and bathing in all of these people getting, getting arrested, arrested and shit and losing their jobs. Great. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I have a question for you, and it might be a hard question to answer. Uh, but what is a game that came out this year that you wish for some reason or another you played more of or that you could have gotten a group of people together to play with you? Hmm. That's, that is a really good question. If I, if immediately, if you say that it, there's a game that I wish I played more of this year, I could get a group of people together. I do kind of feel like I, uh, wish that I had a group that played maybe Spellbreak Cause I, I do think it's something that could have been a little bit more, um, like fun to, to put a little bit more time in. Um, I like, think we could make that happen pretty easily. Yeah. It wouldn't be too bad. Uh, but it, but it, that that does run a second like that that's kind of like a second runner up to the fact that uh this year this year um Valorant came out and in like my heart I just absolutely love Valorant and I did get a chance to play a lot of Valorant this year that was my uh Valorant is uh since it uh was in beta and to this very day is kind of the game that gives me the most mental reset between um uh work and off like uh it really like i i love being in the zone in that game i love playing with a five stack it is the kind of thing where uh if i don't get a chance to play a couple good valorant games before i go back to work i feel kind of like burnt out but if i had a good week of valorant that i actually have a little bit more energy it's like my the the most relaxed that i get despite how yeah. you know sweaty it is like like having a good moment of valorant is like something or even just vic- vicariously uh like watching someone have an amazing game uh is is really enjoyable so Val- valorant is definitely something that i am glad i got to play a lot of and i hope to play a lot more of D- is there something that you feel like you can you guess what do you think um apex league of legends i i really wish that i could get a group of people for league of legends I think that actually our core group would resonate so much with it if they gave it a try. The problem with League of Legends really is just the smurfing is out of hand and ridiculous. And in, in Valorant, like smurfing, like it's not as much of a problem. Like we could bring new people in on Valorant. Like I, I don't know if you heard about this, but friend of the show Alex, who's actually been on some podcasts early on, wants to try out Valorant. I said, I don't think you want to try that out. And he said, no, I, I do want to try that out. Uh, and I'm not worried about like, you know, him playing and him like having to fight people who's better than him because ultimately in Valorant, uh, you can hard carry pretty, pretty easily. But in League of Legends, it is like a little harder to hard carry. So that also means that it's a little, it's a little harder to, I don't know, it's harder to have fun when you're new in League of Legends. And it's it's harder, like, in, in Valorant, like, you can get a kill 
and it will feel fun. And in Valorant, you also know, you understand your objective and you understand what you're doing. That's more. true, yeah. Whereas in League of Legends, there is like this sort of disconnect of like, what is the current goal? Like, what does my team want to do? Uh, you know, it, it's a little bit more nebulous. I think that next season, they just had the season 2021 refresh for League of Legends. Uh, one of the things they're doing is they're totally rebuilding the store. They're adding new mythical items where you can only get one of them, but it's like this super build defining item. And they're making it so that they're really integrating like uh, recommend like item recommendations based on uh, what pros build and also versus the team that you're fighting. So there'll be like item recommendations of like their team has a Leona, so you should build a Quicksilver set. And that's getting rolled into the store. So I really hope, I, I don't know that it's going to happen, but I really hope that I can get more people to try and play League of Legends with me uh, this year. I do agree with you. It is, it is like, League of Legends is, like, you can carry in League of Legends in so far. Like, some characters carry and some don't. And some positions carry and some don't. But even then, uh, a team is uh, a five. And it, it's not as bad as in Heroes of the Storm, but you are kind of somewhat beholden to your weakest link. And like you said, uh, League goals are much more complex. Like, you can have times where the right idea is not to fight, is to um, let an enemy have uh, a certain goal on the map, and that if the people are, um, you know, well-versed in, in strategy, they would know, well, let's take a goal somewhere else. If they're all taking a dragon or a baron or something, yeah. and that means that we get a free tower somewhere, or we get to push all the lanes or something. And, uh, lane, like, last hitting and lane mechanics and all those kind of things are, you know, people are months and years away from understanding how some of that works. Uh, so it is a little tough. Um, it would also, I, it would be really interesting for me also to see other people's feelings about Path of Exile. Like, I, I'm so curious what people would think if they picked it up and just tried to play it. And if they, like, immediately, like, could see the magic in it where we're just like, this is confusing and weird. I don't think anyone could see the magic in it right away. I feel like the map, because the magic in it happens when you pick a build that works and you just go by it and then around like especially if you're new then it's going to take even longer and you're going to be even slower um but once you get that like eight hours in things are starting to click is when your first taste of that magic i don't think uh i feel like it, it is pretty it would be pretty uncommon for anyone to like pick up that game and just be like this is amazing right away this is yeah um do you want to talk about i mean i think next week when we do predictions we'll talk about our most anticipated yeah this games. is pretty long so for now, maybe we should just talk a little bit about, and we don't have to go too crazy into this because we already talked about literally every game that came out this year, except for Bug Snacks. But aside from that, we we covered every single game. <laughs> Bug Snacks would have been our number one too, if only we played it. Uh, so let's talk about our game of the year and then our runners up. So you have a you have uh, a five? Ooh, five. I could come up with five, easy. So I don't have it in order, but maybe I should try. Let me think about that. For I have I have it in order if I can. Let me let me talk. Let you do yours, and then I'm gonna come up with mine as you do yours. All right. So I did think about this a little bit, um, and I I generally put this in order for how I feel about these games overall. And I don't think it's a surprising list. Um, I I would be shocked if if uh, you couldn't just guess this anyway. Um, but my my fifth game of the year, Ghost of Tsushima. 
I really love the way it looks, and uh, they had a massive free update, and it seems like they're going to support it in this weird way, but I, I just could not believe how good it looks, and there's never been, like, a open-world samurai game that really capitalized on that feeling. It was really just a really kind of immersive and fun game. Uh, my fourth uh, of the year is Hades. I, I really like Hades. I still want to play more of it. Um, I just fell off a little bit more when I finished it the first time, and I almost kind of felt like the game will... I, I, I hope... the I, I don't have any proof of this, but I feel like the game will get a big update at some point. I, I, I think, maybe, even though the, the, the uh, Supergiant isn't necessarily the type to do this. I doubt it. And, but I don't I, think so. I would, I, I, and it is such a complete, uh, feature-rich and complete game. So it probably won't, but I almost felt like I like this so much. Um, and I once I had, had beaten it for the first time, I was like, maybe they'll come out with more and like there'll be even more for me to do. Uh, my third game of the year is Genshin Impact. Uh, I, I am playing even more of it now, and... I really like it. It's probably for someone who likes, you know, gotcha games. I feel like this is probably is this is the best one, and it got a lot of recognition for it. And it, you know, it's not without its faults, obviously. My second game of the year is Persona Five Royal because it's ridiculously good. I still haven't finished it, which is so sad that I haven't finished uh, Persona Five or Persona Five Royal, despite how good uh, that game is. And my number one game of the year is obviously Valorant. I just played like a ridiculous amount of it. I wish that there was a thing that I could see how much I played of this game because I finished all the battle passes and just played so much of this game. And even then, it's still like the game that I think about all the time. Like, I absolutely love it. I can't wait for this new character coming out. It just looks so fun. And I just can't wait Do to see Do you think it's they... weird that they haven't said anything about the new season? It is kind of weird. I don't know what they want. I would have thought that this was like... The, they, the way that they kind of explained seasons was that the acts, that, that's, there was like, I guess, three acts in the season, and the acts would be these more minor um, updates, and then the season would be like a major update and like a new map and stuff. And we got, a, we actually ended up getting a map early because they just, they had it ready and they w didn't want there to be only four maps when they do best of threes, because then there's a chance that you don't, uh, the replay maps. So, uh, and I know that they have a goal for making uh, seven maps. I, I wouldn't imagine. There is, there, there is some inklings that there might be a new map coming out. That would be pretty cool if, they have, if they're ahead Kingdom. of schedule and they, and they do that. I mean, that would be really cool. I, I, I hope that there is a big thing. I, for, for, for me, what I would want to see that would mean, that would be enough that I would be really happy with a big major content update in the new uh, season kind of would be seriously having more on the client and fleshing out the client um more uh stat tracking and a replay system i feel like we're way yeah, overdue I for a replay think system that riot should have its own unified game platform like i feel like it should be like a riot games launcher yeah that has like team fight tactics league of legends rune terra you know uh and valorant also did you know that they're coming out with uh the the ruined king is actually i just saw that yeah next character yeah i think that's cool that it's such a lore character i feel like they're getting more into lore these days because they're doing yeah. that rpg and uh now they're having these characters that have kind of existed in 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 lore that they're making as a character in the way that they kind of they used to just like we're all over the place they're like now we're making this character that has never been mentioned before but is apparently important and a god and now they're more they have such a um, more fleshed out and unique world that they're starting to add these lore characters like the Ruin King is a weapon Blade of the Ruin King uh, is a whole thing so I feel like uh, and isn't the Ruin King is that the 
is he related to the RPG as well? Like, is going to be in the RPG yes. as, because like, isn't the, is the RPG named after them? I forgot that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so yeah. So I guess they're doing this as like a major, this is like one of the most major, I guess, story villains that has been kind of just a name drop. And now they're he's like of... the Lich King, essentially. Yeah. Like, I feel like he is the equivalent of being the Lich King, but the Blade of the Ruin King has been in the game for, for quite years. some time. Yeah. Since we, so... we played actually for, for quite some time while we were playing. Yeah. You have your top five? I or... do. Uh, so number, so I feel a little embarrassed about this, but number five is Monster Train. I'm really bummed that we forgot about it. But when I played it, I remember thinking to myself, this is the game of the year. This is the best roguelite I've ever played. And, you know, or I thought that it was like top three. I, I was like, oh, it's number two behind Enter the Gungeon, but it's still amazing. So Monster Train is my number five. Uh, Valorant, number four. You know, I think that that's still a pretty good position there. Uh, were games that I, I do think, I mean, Valorant is a great 2020 game, but Valorant is going to be a great 2021 game and a great 2022 game. So for an initial offering, I think Valorant's pretty good. Uh, I value the time that I spent with my friends on it more so than I value the game itself. It's it's fun to pop off, but also it's a game of miserable lows. Uh, and just uh, like all other games, just has a miserable community uh, that I just don't want to interact with. At this point, I I have stopped playing ranked because I just can't like tolerate like the amount of like, like feeding, like the amount of expletives, like the amount of people who will just go AFK and just the amount that like this, you can essentially be like your entertainment time can be taken hostage by other players. But despite all of that, I think it's a terrific game and it's number four on my list. Uh, Number three is Hades. Uh, like I said, Hades is a, I think that it's a, a perfect game. I think that it's a 10 out of 10. I think that it succeeds in everything that it wants to do. Uh, it's not my number one game. My number, my, my, the games that are in front of Hades are not perfect games, but they're games that are better for me, for who I am. Uh, but I do think that Hades is the best like the best and most widely accessible roguelite that's existed. It, it's crazy because one of the most popular roguelites ever was Binding of Isaac. Uh, super easy combat, but just like so like gross and ugly. And like uh, Hades is everything that like Binding of Isaac isn't when it comes to like presentation, where it's just like so beautiful. Like this is a game that could have won best looking. It could have won best music. It could have won best action game, uh, but then like The Last of Us won all of those, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I honestly do believe that like Hades succeeds in everything that it wants to do. The runs feel different. Like there's if, if you like the gameplay of Hades, then you're in for a treat because there's really so much of it. There are people who say like I don't like ro- roguelites. I don't like top down games, and you could hand them Hades and change their mind. Yeah. Uh, entirely uh so that's why i have hades at number three uh number two is yakuza like a dragon um best story in a video game like such a lovable cast of characters i think that this is a game that's going to turn into a franchise i think that when they made yakuza like a dragon they were afraid of giving it a number right like this isn't yakuza 7 uh and i think that they were worried because they were maybe not sure like is this what people want and and i don't know because i'm not like i wasn't a diehard yakuza fan i played yakuza zero but honestly 
the combat of it kind of turned me off. But I think that the combat in this one is is just enough action based, but also like I just like the turn based combat. I like the the different classes, the unlocks, and just like all the weird shit going on. Uh, that that I think that it's a it's a real success, and that I, I think that anybody who likes JRPGs kind of does owe itself owe themselves playing this because I, I think that also it's w- one thing that I really liked about this year that we didn't really talk about is. I feel like games are really getting away from being either sci-fi or high fantasy. And I, I think that this is something that Persona did really well, where it's taking this this formula that's often used just in high fantasy and it's applying it to like this other like this very otherworldly place, but also it's just like steeped in like magical realism of like this is an actual like this is a school in Tokyo but then like there's this magical realism of like they're jumping down a rabbit hole and ending up somewhere else and i like that yakuza similarly is this is the real world and there are real things like going on and there's like all this like soapy japanese drama but also there's like these fantastical elements um i didn't even talk about like the summoning system in this game where you make friends with people like you do side quests and people become like your buddy and then like you call them up on your phone and you do like this thing that looks like you're doing like a summoning spell on your phone and then he's just like time to call a friend and then like they come like barreling down the street like in these wild cinematics and like do these ultra flashy like magical looking attacks uh and i and i and i just dig it so one of the so yeah essentially like ultimately what i'm trying to say is I really appreciate this year that aesthetically and like games like games that are traditionally just like high fantasy and sci-fi are stepping out of this realm and and we're seeing like taking place in the real world and in these like other types of uh I, I guess coats of paint if that makes sense. And, and can I uh, say what your number one is? The number one best game of the year for James is Noita. That's right. Noita is my game of the year. I've talked about it enough that uh, everyone should know why. But I, I just like how uh, much player expression goes into what you're doing, how ridiculously, insanely powerful you can get, how no two runs feel the same. One thing that I don't think I've ever talked about is um, some of every run, some of the alchemy is randomized. So some of the things that will combine together. Uh, to make new things is randomized. And one of those things is something that's called uh, Midas Drought. And what it is, is every run, three ingredients combined together could make a Midas Drought or an alchemical precursor that eventually can turn into a Midas Drought. And what Midas Drought is, is anything that it touches turns into pure gold. So it's interesting because if if it just so happens that like, mud, water, and blood mixed together create the Midas drought, then you will find oceans of it in the world. And as you pick up the gold that it creates, it will literally melt the floor away from anything. So I've never run into Midas drought, but I think that it's so fascinating that that there is this thing that will just give you infinite currency um, and it will literally melt the world away, turn the world into just gold that you could collect. And it just speaks to like, the insanity of, of this game that like this type of thing can happen or you could 
pick up something very early on in the game that you weren't supposed to have and summon this insane monster that you have no way of beating. And you didn't even understand what it is that you did wrong or how you disturbed the world in the way that you did. Um, but Noita is cool because it's also just so mysterious, right? Like I, I talk about the things like the mystery of not knowing in games of like, I did this thing and I don't know what could have been. And Noita is really that of just like, there are secrets in this game that I think people still haven't figured out. Um, also, it has like, like for people who think that it's like too hard, there's Steam Workshop support. So you could add in things that'll make the game easier. You could add in like hundreds of more spells if that's what you want. I think that the game is really complete and good as is, but if you are interested in the modability, then they've put in a super robust modding API that could give you things like selectable classes where you could become like a monster tamer or an engineer or like a sawblade master, like all of these like ridiculous things. Um, I don't think that Noitz is a game for everyone. I think that it's uh, unfair. I, I think that this is a game where you will die a lot and not completely understand why. There's actually, when you die, there's a replay feature. So you can rewatch and figure out exactly how you died. But also, this is a game that has very long runs. If So by default, you could beat this game in 40 minutes. But if you wanted to do a 100% run, then that's like 15, 16 hours of, of going through the world, of picking up all of the secrets. This is also the type of game where, like Fez, uh, this would be a game that is impossible, literally, like, completely impossible to solve by yourself. There's so many, like, weird, obscure secrets and, like, puzzles that people had to, like, communally work together and piece together to discover. And just, like, all of this, like, meta technology of, like, if you put this skill here with this, you can, like, wrap the abilities of a wand... Like you put, a, if you put a chainsaw here, the 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 spark bolt becomes like a machine gun, or if you put this here, it becomes like a swarm of locusts. Or explosive shot plus bouncing burst together has this weird interaction where it adds two hundred damage and can kill the player. And it's just like all this insane stuff. Uh, so that's why Noitz is my game of the year, not just uh, to play but also to watch. Uh, I think that it's super interesting just watching this game and different players have found different things, have different play styles to where if you're watching two different players, you're going to see them taking two totally different approaches to the game in, in a way that will you know affect the way that you play the game in a way that makes it, I think, more rewarding. So Noitz is my game of the year. Dang. Yeah. It was So weird game, weird games. Of weird the year, game. Like, Noitz you know, is a weird, weird game. Weird year, weird everything. Um, I feel like we should wrap it up. We are, at least the recording's going to get cut down a lot, but it's 2.30 right now, or it's 3.30 right now on Audacity, which is well over the amount that I can even put in. So I'm going to have to, so I, there's parts of it we're going to cut out anyway, just because of uh, breaks, but dang. Uh, I'm excited to discuss uh, predictions for next year. We don't have any predictions Let's from last year either. Unfortunately, we didn't do a, I don't think we even have it. We don't even have a game of the year. There's a di There's a huge fall off between like October or something We did last like a board year. game game of the year last year. I think so, yeah. Something like that. And it might have been done in, I think, January last year. We yeah. had like a board game of the, we had like a board game of the year award. I mean, we do our thing. We do it our way. Thank you, Ryan Galway and Bumper, for the use of your music we used in intro and outro. You can get it off the new album, Pop Songs 2020. That's how I did it pretty quickly. You can find them at YouTube, where you can find links to all their merch. And uh, 
Uh, thank you guys for for using your music. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Did episodes like disappear? No. It's weird because I'm seeing like episode two thirty nine, and then I'm seeing episode two thirty eight, and the difference between them is very large. It's a huge so I'm time. I'm trying to figure out where where the game uh, where the like um. Well, you can see the dates. Like, there's we just skip um the whole end of the year and the beginning of the next year. Crazy. Where did we do board games? It might maybe it was last. It might have been last year. That's insane. If true, there's no way. I mean, I thought that there. I thought that we had done. I, I was surprised to look back. I was so excited last week. We were talking about um going over predictions, which, oh. I, th- which I thought thought was always really fun. And there's none. Like it just goes from any of the predictions would have been wrong. Yeah, it really would have been. Um, because but... nobody thought Corona was going to be this big of a problem. Yeah, what's the di- so right? So I'm looking at. Oh, never mind. That has to be something. That has to be because I'm looking at um, not see all see all episodes. Yeah, there's a huge there's a huge gap. All right, Ryan, take it easy. Take it greasy. Bottle of red. All right, so bottle of white.